of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Welcome, one and all, to another iteration of Australia's favourite footballing podcast, full of ticker and full of absolute idiots. It's the national curriculum for another week. Joins by a not-idiot, who we'll get to in a second, but as ever, I am your best host, Joey Lynch, taking you through the hosting today because Nick Stoll has no ticker and he's going to leave us at some point. But Nick, you're here from the start. How are you? It's been a big week in football. I'm super excited. Uh, I believe you were talking to me, not Devano, but uh, already your first mistake as host. Uh, I'm really excited for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is I believe this is the only show in Australian sport not involving Shaquille O'Neal, uh, at least a cameo at some stage. He's been everywhere. And I was, I was thinking a couple of things. I was thinking, A, who is the football equivalent of Shaquille O'Neal who could be brought out here by a betting company? And be involved in simultaneously like elbow press conferences, DJ at clubs, uh, do weird things with like Matty Johns and, you know, just, just everywhere it goes. Because basically everyone was just like, oh, he's just massive. So that's, that's the first reason I'm excited. The second reason I'm excited is because Joey is hosting and has already been slandered. Uh, minus one minute, I think is the record before we even went to, uh, air Alan Riley just chimed in with a beautiful off the top rope. I think you say in wrestling, not even going to bother asking a question if Joey's hosting. I feel more oppressed under his reign than Comrade Halloran was in worst career. Bring back Chairman Nick Stoll. Thanks and success. Thanks and success to you, Alan. What a great, what a great show we have on our hands. Already slandering Joey. All right, all right. Enough of Stoll before I send into a gulag, but. <laughs> We weren't expecting you at this point, Nick DeBarno. You're supposed to be in the top end. You're campaigning um, for uh, Barnaby Josh. How's the top end? Mm. How are you? Nick the Tourist, how are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to you guys beforehand, you guys are helping me with my social media detox up here because all you guys are doing is uh, slandering me every single time I tweet. Uh, you know, I, I said I was going to spend time off social media up here, but you guys have made it quite easy because when I was getting all those notifications, I was getting notifications from Twitter saying, do you want us to block the national curriculum Twitter uh, account because of all those constant replies? Um, but yeah, just up here, a bit of r and I thought I'd come in and say good day so I couldn't be accused of no ticker. And even the ESPN account is even taking the mick out of me. So I still can't win. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, nonetheless... <laughs> Nonetheless, yeah, picking up the slack where Josh Parrish left off. I don't know how long I was it back in June and, uh, you know, continue on the campaign trail. Got to say, though, those hats are bloody expensive. So no Barnaby Josh kind of Bob Catter style hats for me uh, on this trip. So, yeah, no, I can't complain. It's been a good detox. And, uh, yeah, it definitely has been Nick on the beach. Uh, Nick detox, Nick the tourist. You can keep going all day with him. <clears throat> Joe, I believe your microphone has gone. Is anyone else having issues? Uh, yes, I fixed it now. Um, okay. Great to have Nick DeBarno. Three up minutes in, three mistakes. Unbelievable. Uh, we can now go to a very special guest, somebody that we are super excited to have on the show, a man that spent quite a bit of time there in Queensland, as you might be able to tell mm. for the benefit of our podcast listeners. Our next guest has Rabina Stadium uh, set as his background for this thing. Sydney Morning Herald football journalist, amongst other things. He's a master of all trades. Vince Regari, welcome to the National Curriculum. 
Hello, oh, Joey. Bye-bye. Hello, boys. How are you going? Thanks for having me. Sorry it took me a few weeks to finally pull it together, but you know, Sunday nights are for the couch and like, you know, like it's, it's chilling time. So, it's true. like, every minute I spend in here is another minute I'm going to be in a doghouse when I get out. Uh, but that being said, um, nice to be here. Love your work, boys. I always listen sometimes on Sunday nights, sometimes not, but it's always good fun. Um, and Joey, what can I say? I mean, from off the bat, you've called me not an idiot. So you've just rolled out the absolute <laughs> red carpet for the guests, which we really appreciate, you know? I like to think, yes, we are gracious hosts here at the National Curriculum. And don't worry, um, Vincent, if you are in the doghouse with your partner, you can get them to compare notes with uh, Freya and Joe, uh, myself and Nick Stoll, no strangers to the dog, uh, the doghouse for hosting this podcast but i think we do a spin-off podcast the doghouse (laughs) we just (laughs) compare notes all right yeah uh, i I stuffed up with this i did a problem with this that i can i just say as well with vince uh great to see you know the background there uh gold coast united stadium and great to see you got a photo of their record crowd uh amazing uh (laughs) seats there uh i can believe may it was that was that one of the games where clive palmer shut off all three stands that was like two full seasons, basically. And like, listen, you know, it's easy to hang shoot on Gold Coast United, but for a while there, they were getting crowds of like five to seven thousand people, mm. which at the moment we'd yeah. kill for. So exactly. you know, let's not look down on Gold Coast United too much these days because standards have dropped since then. And uh, <laughs> if only the A League had a little bit of that magic dust that was circulating uh, on the glitter strip between two thousand and eight and two thousand ten, man. For a while there, it seemed like that club was a thing. Clive Palmer would have got Shaquille O'Neal to turn up to a Gold Coast United game. (laughs) Absolutely. He would have have signed him and then only then found out that he wasn't a footballer. That's the kind of thing that Clive was good at, knowing nothing about the game. Well, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And we, luckily, we still have free speech, even if Gold Coast United is no longer (laughs) with us. But we can move on to the footballing aspect of tonight's show because and I want to get to it quickly because Nick Stoll actually watched this football match which isn't always the most common thing uh, as regular you not reveal my secrets (laughs) no up there in Queensland as well it's very Queensland focused intro to the show the Peninsula Power hosting Sydney United and it was Sydney Croatia that took away a 1-0 win scoring in the ninth minute about 60 seconds after the replays indicated they probably should have given away a penalty for a handball up the other end, but it didn't count. No VAR. They also probably got away with a foul throw in the build-up to their goal, but that's the magic of the cup, baby. <laughs> and now Sydney Croatia are the first side to book their place in the last four of the Australia Cup. But I will go to you first, Vince, because you are the special guest. You were watching it as well. I saw you live tweeting along, enjoying yourself. What did you make of the game? Yeah, I was second screening, so like I was working on some stuff and had that in the background. So I didn't watch the whole game fully, but I got the broad, the sort of broad brushstrokes of it. And it was like, listen, Sydney United are doing the like they're ticking all the boxes at the moment for a deep cup run from like a smaller team, like a team from like a smaller league or whatever, you know. So they're they're, they're you know sitting back and defending pretty strongly. They're riding their luck on occasions, but sometimes you have to. They're taking their chances when they come, or even when there seemingly is no chance. They're still managing to score a goal in that situation. And they've got a goalkeeper who is playing out of his skin in Daniel Nizic. And you need all those things to, you know, defy the odds in a tournament like the Australia Cup. And they've got them all right now. 
and good on them. Um, it's good to watch. Uh, I don't think any A-League team is going to want to draw them in the next round if they're playing against a team like this in this sort of shape defensively with a goalkeeper who's just like sticking his hand out and stopping everything. Um, and especially at a Denzel Park, which A, is an intimidating, an intimidating place to go and B, is a synthetic turf, which I think a lot of A-League clubs would be familiar with. So there's a few things for whoever they draw in the next round. I mean, they could draw an NPL team theoretically if Oakley, Oakley have Sydney FC, right? So if they'd need to knock them off for Sydney United to be drawn away and them to be drawn together is the only way they're not playing at Enzo Park next up. So no one wants to face them next up. No one at all. Well, I'm going to get to you in a second, Nick Stoll, but Nick DeBarno, I think you, this is where we say farewell. You're you're off to enjoy your holiday. Yeah, this is, this is where I say goodbye, but just on a quick point, didn't see any of the game today, but just, it's good to see, one MPL team make it through to the semifinals organically without the the whole, you know, old format where it was, you know, sort of structured to have one team get through. So uh, congratulations to Sydney United. And you know what, Vince, if we get Sydney United versus Oakley, that would be absolutely bonkers. If somehow Oakley, you know, with all their injuries and playing 120 minutes on Friday and penalties found a way to beat Sydney, it'd be bloody crazy. But can't wait for it all. Have a good show, guys. Um, I'll catch you guys on the flip. Awesome. Job, well. Nick DeBarno has Nick departed. Um, so now we can go to you, Nick Stoll. What did you make of uh, Sydney United's win today? Uh, look, I, the first thing to say is just echoing Nick's, Nick's thoughts on um, uh, being really great for an MPL team to make it. If they make the final, you know, it'd be an incredible story because, of course, Sydney Croatia was one of the the biggest teams in the NSL, one of the most famous teams and one of the teams probably that felt most harshly done by to be not included in the new A-League era. So it would be incredible if they were the first non-A-League team to make the Australia Cup. Um, And having said that, uh, you know, and congratulations to them for making a semi-final. It wasn't the most watchable game. uh, And I was very much aware of, oh, this is the reason these guys are eighth in uh, MPL New South Wales, and they have, I think, the third worst uh, goal-scoring record this season. Don't create a lot. Um, But, you know, like Vin says, you know, you go on these cup runs. But I I guess what's also interesting is what I would love to know from any Sydney Croatia, Sydney United fans out there, you know, how much does this mean to you? You know, the the, kind of what I'm interested in is when when a team overseas who's in the second division, say, and I know this isn't a second division, so makes a cup final it's a huge deal you know it's it's they're so excited about it you know how many fans will will show up for the semi-final this is what i'm interested to kind of know is like just how big a deal is it it feels like a massive deal uh but i'm not sure if that is necessarily translating into the grassroots sydney united fans i mean it seemed like half the crowd there today had traveled from sydney to be honest Mm. judging by the large contingent behind the crowds um yeah it's all relative, really, isn't it? All this crowd stuff. I mean, who knows what a what a good crowd looks like for Sydney United next time around, you know? Like, these these clubs have been away from the big picture for a long time. A lot of people have dropped off. Yeah. Um, clubs like Sydney United are actually incredibly fortunate to have what seems like younger generations, you know, mm. quite young people, you Pre- know, my NSL age, getting around. Well, sorry, exactly. NSL the, fans. The, these guys wouldn't. A lot of these guys wouldn't have been born or have particularly vivid memories of the NSL, you know. So it's actually quite a feat for these clubs to have new people coming through and it meaning so much to them. Obviously, because of the the whole ethnic identity link, like it makes sense, you know. And it's mm. 
it's good for them. And I hope, I just hope anytime I see any of these clubs on a good cup run, I just hope they can turn it into something bigger, more sustained, long-term. Can this club find a way to take the next step as a football organisation, professionalise you know, what they do, find more investment, you know, step things up for the second division when, whenever it's going to happen. That's what I hope. But also beyond that, I just hope, you know, live in the moment and enjoy it as well as the other thing. Because if this is your club, this is special right now. You know, these things don't happen all the time. Well, the broadcast did say that they brought a thousand fans up with them from New South Wales for this fixture. And of course, Scott McDonald, coach of Gold Coast um, Knights, was on the call also pointing out that a number of the Croatian community um, from Queensland got out to support the team as well, which is what these Sydney Uniteds, these Melbourne Knights, the Gold Coast Knights clubs can do when they, you know, go on the road in the Australia Cup. They can rely on that support from communities um, around the country. I mean, we see the Crow, the Crow Cup um, every year. Now that we're coming back out of COVID, that'll become an annual event again where we see all these teams come together, which is a really great thing. And I agree with you, Vince. Like, one of the things, like, especially from this Australia Cup where we are, you know, the second division, you know, is becoming a lot more of a tangible thing. We've got Football Australia, you know, going out on the record and saying it's happening and going out and consulting with clubs saying this is what you need. Hopefully this provides a platform for somebody like a Sydney United to say, all right, this is what Football Australia have told us. This is all the people that have joined us for this Australia Cup run. How do we convert all of A into B and really strengthen our case for a national second tier? But I wanted to flash back to something that Nick Stoll said briefly about how Sydney United are eighth on the NPL um, New South Wales table at the moment. And I mean, their coach today, it's an interim coach. They actually sacked their coach mid-season after after they got thumped by Sydney FC. And I wanted to ask um, the both of you your thoughts on Sydney FC, the lone well, potentially the lone uh, National Premier League side standing heading into the semi-finals. Do we think that they are still standing and they're playing the way they are because they're focused on a cup run rather than the league um, throughout this season and that's why they're so strong? And do you think we'll ever get a point where perhaps Oakley can prove uh, me wrong by upsetting Sydney FC on Wednesday night? But do you think we'll ever reach the point where we can get clubs that are able to do both, go deep into the in their local NPL finals and the Australia Cup under this new format where the all of the Australia Cup will be completed around this time of year? I mean, for me, it's a question. The issue is depth, right? Well, there's a few issues. Depth, obviously, they're not going to have the same depth as an A-League club, obviously. They're not going to have not only depth in terms of players, but depth in terms of physios and you know, all, all the recovery that you need to, to play games on the weekend and then play games during the week and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you know, if you had it in a different time of the year, there'd be complaints, oh, we're playing out of season, you know. And, and so I think this is kind of the best situation you can kind of give uh, the NPL teams. Now, you know, I'm sure it'd be interesting to hear from any NPL players what it is like to balance a you know, league run, a cup run and a job because a lot of these guys have jobs. So, you know, I'm sure for them it's an amazing experience. But no, I think it is very difficult to do both. Uh, You'd have to be an exceptionally kind of well-managed, well-coached run club. You know, hopefully 
it can inspire a club to do that. But, you know, for now, it does seem like it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't have much to add to that other than just like, you know, um, I don't know if Sydney United have really been focusing on a cup run so much as they had a bad, not a great season. And then they had every game that comes to them. It's just like, all right, let's have a go. And, you know, they've been pretty lucky with their draw in that they've faced a few NPL teams, right? Like two or three. And then I'm not saying they were lucky against Western United, although on the pitch, in the in the sense of the game, they were quite lucky. But like, you know, fantastic effort to win that. But um, I think it's just what we're seeing is just a confluence of circumstances around them. Timing, opposition, in-game situations or whatever. It's lightning in a bottle. It's fantastic. Who knows? Yeah. This is the beauty of the cup. Um, you just don't know what's going to happen. It would not surprise me if you ran the cup again next year and there's no MPL teams in the last eight or something like that. You know, mm. it just, it is what it is sometimes. And this is what this one is. And it's beautiful. And I look forward to when we have this second division up and running, whenever that happens to be, just so that we have clubs operating at a higher level than the MPL, mm. but not quite A League level, just so that we can maybe get what we're talking about here, Joey, about a, a, you know, a club that's able to function in the league and in the cup and in many other aspects at once. Cause it's probably a bit much to ask of MPL clubs right now. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at the end of such a long year for guys who are also working and all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. But at the moment they're probably running on fumes, these guys as well. You know, some of them probably had like holidays overseas, postseason stuff booked. So they, they have to cancel because it turns out their cup runs going further and that no one's probably complaining about that. But it just underlines what an effort this is um, for these guys. And they should a be done. of them might be in the doghouse as well. <laughs> Having <laughs> well, to cancel weddings. Or, well, one thing I'll say is I, I kind of think it's also important to, for any people watching today is that these aren't, you know, it's important to note these aren't the best of the best in the NPL. So... You know, if you're watching this and going, oh, is that the standard of the NPL? Or, you know, if Sydney United, whoever they face the next time and, and they, you know, get hammered or whatever, it's not the best of the NPL up against the, you know, whatever of the A-League. Uh, these teams that are making runs at it, we, we're not, I don't know, I just think it, like, there are better teams in the NPL than Sydney United. They're just on a good cup run. And I think, well, Vince, you mentioned clubs. They probably had holidays booked. I hope they cleared them with uh, cane corns before they uh, decided to go play for them or not. Um, but is that, is that an AFL reference? That's an AFL know, reference, yeah. So They're Sharon, better than wrestling references, though, Nick, i got to say. Yeah. That's true, that's true. Um, we'll get to previewing the games, the three games to come on Wednesday in a second, but I wanted to take advantage of, you know, you being here, Vince, another a writer for a major broadsheet, and I wanted to get your thoughts on the magic of the cup, particularly this being the first proper year that we've had the cup back since COVID, you know, getting a run in it. We're not playing round the 32 games while some teams have already qualified for the quarterfinals. For you too as well, Nick Stoll, how do you feel the magic of the cup, the Australian cup has captured the imagination beyond the hardcores of Australian football? Because I know myself, you know, I filed on today's game for AAP. I think that's the first time. Oh, the only other game AAP's covered was Western United victory because it was the defending champions versus the holders of the cup. Um, I got one preview up in Optus and that was it. Couldn't get anything up else anywhere. Vince, what's your take on the, the cut through of the Australia Cup to the broader public thus far? What is the magic there? How do we, do we need to build it back up? 
I don't know what we do, but the just the cold, sad reality is it's not happening beyond our bubble. And I love our bubble. I wish I could live in our bubble 24-7. You know, it's my favorite bubble in the world. But I just wish there were more people in the bubble. And I feel like, I mean, it's got so much potential, the Australia Cup. Mm. Like, there's nothing like it in Australian sport. Is actually bigger than the FA Cup in terms of teams involved, which is a remarkable thing to consider when you know that the FA Cup has been going for 10,000 years and is like totally stitched into the fabric of what being English is. Like it is, it's everything we dream our cup to be and ours is already bigger, which is pretty impressive. But there's a few things you need to remember. One is the FA Cup still, or Australia Cup, still does not have a naming rights sponsor. It hasn't had one since Westfield stopped a few years ago, obviously pre-FA regime change. So back in the Lowy days. And I get the sense that that sponsorship back then was a bit of a charity thing from the lowies to the game, right? So it hasn't it hasn't got any sort of broader corporate interest. It's on 10 play, which is good. It's free, but you sort of got to know where you're looking to find it. It's in the back blocks of a streaming app. But no, who's who's gonna who's gonna put it in a bigger sort of spotlight than that? Really, to be honest, because you look at the game today and. There were like I think the official crowd was like fifteen hundred people, which is good mm. for I guess a local game. But like, you know, it's it's a cup uh, quarterfinal, semifinal. You'd like to think that if more people knew about this thing, more people would come. I'm just trying to figure out how that's going to work because you know I think like you're saying, Joey, you, you haven't had the opportunity to write too much about the FFA Cup or the Australia. I keep calling it the FFA Cup. That's probably going to continue happening. Um, I well, you know, I don't get to decide everything that I write. Um, I wish I could, but I, I haven't been able to write too much about the Australia Cup. Hopefully that's going to change in the next couple of weeks because this thing is just so narrative rich. Um, but I'm not sure. Like, yeah. I just feel like it's going to take maybe a team like Sydney United reaching a final or something really crazy to happen so that it does actually penetrate our bubble and start speaking to broader Australia because... It, it's too good not it's too good to say secret for so long in my opinion and also i don't know the, the australians and uh, i'm just the older i get the more sort of like resigned i am to the fact that just like the average australian doesn't ultimately really care that much and it's really it's going to be really hard to convince them to is just sort of where i end up landing back at with a lot of deep football related questions that i swim with in my mind and this is one of them it's like here it is. This is us at the moment. Let's just try not to feel too bad about it and enjoy it. <laughs> well, yeah. we've got Antonis um, in the comments saying, back, piggybacking off your words, um, Vince, saying that he just doesn't feel the advertising is selling that angle. I'm assuming he's picking up on the magic and the drama and the storylines that you're talking about there, Vince. But Nick Stoll, you've worked in front of the camera, you've worked behind the camera, you've done social media, you've done, I mean, you're a young bloke, but you've pretty much done pretty much almost everything there is in this industry. How would you, like, say you are made the czar of promoting like the Australia Cup. What are you doing yeah. to bring it into the mainstream? Is it possible well, to bring it into the mainstream? Well, the first thing I'm doing, like anyone appointed a czar, is uh, grossly abusing my position of power and immediately paying for a trip to Spain. Gotcha. Uh, to view the Copa del Rey and, and do a bit of research over there, see how they do it. No, look, seriously, here's what I think. It's a combination. So 
you're gonna really you really need 10 or whoever is the broadcaster but in this case 10 you really need to convince them to push the narrative storylines whether it's on their local news so you know 10 has a news as far as i understand has news in perth has news in adelaide has news in blah blah, blah. so you got to do a deal with them where they say look every sports bulletin when there is an australia cup team kind of after the round of 64 or whatever it is you got to get those stories out there. So that, that's one thing you got to do. Uh, two, I think even the kind of the keep ups of the world, the Australian, I know, I know it's not a keep up kind of competition because uh, not part of the APL, uh, but w- everyone's going to grow. This rising tide will lift all boats. So keep up, Football Australia, whatever, they've got to get these stories out as much as possible. Find the most interesting human stories in as many teams as you can. That takes research, that takes skills, that takes money, not that much money, but it does take a bit of money. Then I think kind of like, again, I actually think there's a lot of potential in the Australia Cup, and I think talking like 25 years down the track, I think it could be huge. Uh, I don't think it's going to be huge for another at least 10 years. Um, But is there a way to potentially, it's the best chance we have of connecting. Like, I, I, you know, I played in a team that was in the Australia Cup first round or whatever, and then eventually got knocked out so is there a way to potentially connect all the grassroots people which is i don't know millions of people nearly that are playing football some kind of if there's a you know is it cup day or something where every single club in the country is playing and like a logistic nightmare i know and this would be in the very early preliminary rounds but is there a way that you could make saturday the 5th of may or whatever or the first saturday of may is when every single local club is playing an Australia Cup fixture. And then, it, you know, you get everyone around that. You get all the juniors there. You really try and make it a big deal that, hey, guys, we could we are going to start here on this suburban park, you know, with dog crap on it and the grass is too long and, and whatever. And But we could go all the way to the final. That That's the beauty of this magic. So if you can kind of maybe create an event a daily thing in the calendar where you celebrate the grassroots nature, because that's the coolest thing is that your local, local team, the one that you play for gets to be in this competition. And yeah, look, it's a fairy tale, but there is a chance. There is the tiniest 0.0001% chance that you'll go on all the way to play against Sydney FC or Melbourne victory or whoever. And you'll play against Lewis Nunny. Like, you know, just be absolutely insane. So I don't know. I think there's something in that. I know that's a huge thing to put on all of Australian football to get together and say we're all going to you know, agree on this date. But, hey, maybe that's why James Johnson talks about the calendars so much and how important they are. I think, um, Geraldo, friend of the show, um, technically his username's actually Herald Zero, but I just say Geraldo anyway. I'm pretty yeah, sure I'm that's how Geraldo. it's supposed to be pronounced. Saying that the people it needs to connect to remain football people below A-League men more than mainstream Australia. And I, I, I think, you know, he's right there in a sense as well. You you sort of, you want people in the, not even not even the NPLs at this point, the state leagues and below, the people Nick's talking about, that once they are knocked out, you do need to get them engaged as well. And you don't want them to forget um, about the cup. They're not in it now. So, you know, you want them going to the teams above the highest in the in the competitions above them and engaging with that. So I, I definitely do agree with Geraldo on that point. One of the can, things can I... that I wanted to observe, though, is like, I think uh, oh, some evil. Uh, okay. Um, Harold Zero is chiming in. Some evil person took Geraldo. 
That's why he's Herald Zero. So we've solved hey, the mystery. Joey, before you um, get too carried away with your next point, but just on what he just said, Geraldo, like, mm. um, I, I, I often have to check myself with this sometimes, or at least I think I do. Like, we talk about football people and we talk about mainstream Australia as if they're separate entities. Uh, like, I would say a lot of mainstream Australians are football people. Like, who do we think the however many million people who play the game and their parents mm. and friends are in this country? You know, we've only got like 20-odd million people. Like, a lot of Australians who we would consider mainstream Australians are football people who are interested in the game at some level, play the game. I just think within those people, there's, there's just like a, I don't know how it works, but some sort of natural limit as to mm. how much they are willing to care about at least domestic football in Australia or Australian football. And I, I don't know, like, are we expecting the people of, like, say, Blacktown City and Apia Leichhardt and you name however many junior clubs in this area of Sydney to start caring that Sydney United are going to are having a good cup run? Like, that's probably not going to happen. But I think there's a lot of potential in just, like, the sporting story of a cup run and I think there's people I don't really even people from other codes should be interested in that and would be interested in that and I think it's a matter of like mm. just we just need one we just need one cup run one team that goes reaches a final or goes really close to winning a final or something like that and I have a feeling that if we have like something like that a perfect narrative that breaks through the thing can catch fire I think a little bit there's you know there's not a whole lot wrong with it at the moment we don't need to think too deeply about what do we do to make this appeal to people. We just got to hopefully just wait and see what the magic of sport and underdog yarns sort of does. Cause we love that. Here. Well, and I the uniqueness with, of the competition, there is no like AFL well, right. or rugby league version of this. So, well, that gets to the point I was going to make. I think with the Blacktown thing, Vince, I think you, you, I don't think you should, you could, you, you couldn't, probably couldn't get them focused on supporting Sydney United. I bet you could engage them in hoping Sydney United get knocked out mm. and yeah. seeing their rivals suffer um, on the national stage. I mean, I think a healthy level of hatred is good in football at all levels. But like on that telling a story, like telling stories, Vince, I do think that is something that we struggle with in Australian football at all levels, be it the Socceroos, be it the Matildas, be it um, the A-Leagues, be it telling the stories of, you know, our clubs, our historic clubs that, you know, were integral to create. I mean, John Didalitza did an entire book and podcast series on it about how our, you know, local and traditional clubs helped shape Australian football. It, it contrasts, I went to, and I'm sorry, I'm going to make another Sharon reference. I went to, the AFLW captain's call the other week and, you know, in the lead into the AFLW season and in the lead into the AFL final series, it feels like absolutely everything in these competitions is positioned as the biggest, the greatest thing ever. Absolutely everything is history. This is why you should care about this. This is why you should care about that. This is historic. Pay attention. And it feels like we're sort of coy about doing that in football sometimes, I think. We're a bit coy about saying that, no, this is bloody amazing and you should be paying attention because we don't want to, I don't know, maybe it's because of decades of being told, you know, being told to sit in the corner and not say anything. And to a degree, some footballing administrators telling other people to go and sit in the corner and accept your place whilst the grown-ups play. But I feel as though Australian football at all levels, like this Australia Cup discussion we're having speaks to the broader challenge Australian football has in 
championing itself and telling everybody why they should care. And the other part of that to remember as well is that those other sports we talk about, AFL, you know, they've got so many more levers that they can use than we do. You know, like, like the AFLW this past weekend feels like, I don't know, maybe it's because I had to write something about it last week and I do have a moderate interest level in what goes on there, but just like I feel like it was somewhat inescapable and that's partly due to the fact that there's some enormous media companies whose interest it is that it is inescapable to you are making sure that that's the case and pushing this narrative through and putting it on the front page of papers and on every website and all this sort of stuff. Similar for the NRL around origin time, finals time, all that stuff. Us in football, we got the bubble and then we got 10, which is great. But like, how often are people really watched? Like, are we expecting this thing to catch fire because of a few news bulletins on 10 yeah. at five o'clock? Like, it's yeah. it's a lot to ask, you know? So, yeah, I um, think, look, these, I think these are the structural short-term... things we're always working against, you know? I think there's short-term stuff and then I think there's kind of long-term, you know, planning. But uh, yeah, again, it's, like, it's also we need this competition to build up history as well. The FA Cup wasn't the FA Cup from the beginning, but you have enough great runs in the cup or heartbreaks or, or whatever it is, and suddenly it becomes a thing that you always, you know, remember and you want revenge for and, you know, it, it drives you on. So, yeah, I think... I, th- I think it will grow, slowly but surely. I think it will grow. Well, we'll get through, we'll rip through these previews very quickly because we'll also get Tao's thoughts on them when he joins. But um, Oakley Cannons facing Sydney FC on Wednesday, Adelaide United against Brisbane Raw, MacArthur against Wellington Phoenix, 60 seconds or less, Vince Regari. Which one are you most looking forward to? Uh, I reckon probably MacArthur Wellington, just because. I don't know. I think uh, the Adelaide-Brisbane game, less appealing to me. And I feel like the Oakley-Sydney FC game, judging by what you were saying about Oakley, Joey, I don't really know much about the team or the you know availability of players and whatnot. I fear that might be pretty one-sided. I hope it isn't. Uh, we all want cup sets to happen. Uh, but on that basis, I reckon the last game is going to be the most interesting, mostly because MacArthur, looked, their team looks quite interesting. And so does Wellington's, actually. They've made a few pickups that we've sort of just glossed over on this side of the ditch, I reckon, and they're always competitive, Wellington Phoenix. And yeah, I think that's uh, actually my head out to Campbelltown for that game on Wednesday. Don't tell Nick Stoll that. Doesn't He's got a history with MacArthur, but which one are you looking forward to, Nick Stoll? Uh, I'm looking forward, obviously, to uh, Oakley versus Sydney FC. I think anytime you know you see a uh, NPL team against an A-League team, it's always interesting. Uh, and then on that, just Sydney FC, there's a lot of kind of change uh, expected from them this season. Uh, so, you know, how will they line up? Um, it, it does seem like it's a transitional year for them, literally in the fact that they are transitioning back to their old stadium, which is now a new stadium. Uh, so I think that's going to be uh, really interesting. And, yeah, I am interested in MacArthur. I'm, I'm sneakily hopeful that they will be entertaining this season. So uh, it should be a good one. All right, very quickly, um, looking forward to MacArthur. Versus Wellington, because I think Wellington are going to be sneaky good this A-League men's season. And I'd like to see more evidence of that. And I also enjoy watching Daniel Arzani cook. Looking forward to seeing if he gets to do that. And of course, also looking forward to Oakley, Sydney, because the chance of a cup set is always something that you want to watch. But we'll move on now from the magic of the cup to our Socceroos. The news coming through today 
that they are heading to a very busy Eden Park for their final game before they head to Qatar for the World Cup. It was revealed today that we already knew about one rugby union game that would be taking place um, on Eden Park the day before they play New Zealand. But now we have discovered um, it is two the day before they head to Eden Park. Um, I'll, I'll say my piece before I throw to you guys. I think it's really unfortunate for two two key reasons. One, there's obviously an injury risk when you're playing on a poor field in front of a World Cup. You always have to be mindful that you know if some player steps in a divot, does his ankle, bang, they've missed a World Cup crowning achievement of one's playing career, and that's a terrible thing too. We already know, or at least we've been given the impression that Graham Arnold will be selecting two different Socceroo squads for these games. One that will play in the Brisbane game a few days before that, and then a different one for the Eden Park game. All of a sudden, the squad that gets picked for the Eden Park game is at a serious competitive disadvantage um, in this one, especially you're on the ball players, your attackers and that. If they're playing on a poor quality pitch compared to what is hopefully... Uh, a nice surface at Lang Park, there's a competitive disadvantage in there, which is unfortunate for whomever plays for the Socceroos in that game. But Vince Regari, what was your impressions when you saw this news come through? This is what we got to deal with. You know, this is that. It's basically, I don't really have heaps to say other than that. You know, what are you going to do? It sucks. It shouldn't be this way. It's awful. But this is the sort of, kind of stuff you just have to put up with as a football person in this part of the world. Australia, New Zealand, we're not the priority. We get what's left over. This sucks. I'd love to change it. I work hard every day to try and do my bit in changing that. But sometimes you're just uh, you're talking into a brick wall and this is one of those times. I mean, uh, it is what it is. It's not going to change. I wouldn't have thought. Um, let's just hope that the game at Suncorp is better and that Arnie gets more than he needs to out of that game so that everyone can go to Eden Park and just play a game and not get injured and avoid disaster or whatever. Um, not much you can do about it. Well, I think, like, first of all, this is the other thing to remember is this is, like, the first time, I think, the New Zealand Yeah, we haven't played them in, like, game. 10 years. I think it was that, the last game um, no, we played. Oh, I, they haven't played at home for a long time. They haven't either. played at home yeah. for a long time. So, like, so what a disrespect. Us, to be honest, yeah, you know? what a disrespect to their football that, hey, guys, so great to have you back for the first time in four years. Do you mind if we play two games of rugby on the pitch uh, before you jump on? I mean, like, move move the game. If I was the New Zealand Football Federation, I, look, I know money's involved. I'm sure state governments, whatever, da-da-da. You'd say, look, it's not good enough. We are, we are moving this game to Wellington or wherever you need to move it to. But also, I would say if I'm the Socceroos and you write about, like, you know, the injury risk into a World Cup, Man, I, we would be doing a pretty thorough pitch inspection before that game, and I would be refusing to play if it was significant that, look, we're going to get injuries on this. What, I'm going to lose my spot, like my next eight months of my career, including a World Cup spot, because of some crappy friendly against New Zealand? Like, no chance. So, I, I don't know. I just think it's like, look, a two rugby games, like... You know, I'm sure there's ways of, oh, you know, we're, we're very good at looking after the pitch. Two rugby games that it's going to be ridiculous. So I think the New Zealand Federation, the soccer, the Australian Federation, and the players, both sets of players, should come together and say, "How is this good enough? We want the game moved." And they should be putting pressure on them. 
And if I'm a New Zealand football fan as well, I'd be putting pressure because I say, we've waited four years and now you're going to give us this awful pitch which actually ruins the sport. Is it, or even put the football game before the rugby games. Put the rugby games after. They, they need the pitch less. It is less important to them. Obviously, the ball is on the ground less. Well, Philip Rollo uh, from Stuff, uh, the outlet over there in New Zealand, friend of the show. We'll have to have him on again before these friendlies come. And he's come through in the comments saying, should have played the game in Dunedin where the original game was staged. And he is right that not only is it a World Cup send-off, it's first time New Zealand has played in four years. We're also celebrating the 100th centenary of the first ever game between Australia and New Zealand. That stadium is sick. I've been there for a a Bledisloe Cup game a few years ago. And that place is epic. Like, I wish there were more stadiums like it, particularly in Australia. It's completely enclosed. But, um, oh, look, it's just cool. The atmosphere in there is special. Great little stadium. Don't mind Dunedin either. Nice little town. Uh, I agree. Let's try and do that. Let's move the game. Can we decide? Yeah, the TNC has decreed that the game, the Socceroos game, will be moved to um, You guys should get, like, three opportunities a year to change in Australian football, if you so desire, like only three, two or three, we would, like we would blow like, them like, in, a, in a day. All right, we, we would we just immediately go, What? Nah, change that. No way. What? We, who's playing in midfield? Get out of here. Yeah, they, yeah, we'd, 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 we'd like blow it on really niche shit. You would waste I, I, them within I, the first hour of one episode. Little <laughs> man, as soon as I probably saw like a Sydney FC lineup, I'd blow like three of them or <laughs> not him out, him in. Da, 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 da. No, no way. Well, we'll move on because we have another national team who are in action in the coming week, next Saturday, which is why we're talking about it now because they'll play before our next show, at least one of the games. Uh, Up in Brisbane, the Matildas will play against Canada um, in their latest in a string of friendlies against high-quality opposition. The first team is back after playing the kids against the Spanish and the Portuguese with... um, unsurprising results against the Spanish. The first team is back. The Matildas are back in Australia. Vince, well, I remember your now former colleague, Don Bossi, um, who, great shift at the Sydney Morning Herald, but we have to say now that he's moved on. But I remember him clashing with Tony Gustafsson quite a lot in these press conferences, asking, you know, to quote a uh, a Victorian uh, football figure, a a roadmap, a roadmap to where. Um, But what do you need to see from the Matildas against Canada in this series? What do you, what Uh, do you want to see? What do you need to see? um, Two excellent performances and two wins, hopefully. Like, again, this is, you know, I'm not going to have heaps to say on this aside from what I'm about to say, which is, I'm sort of done with Tony Gustafson myself. Like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to carry the torch for Bossy. Like, I might a little bit, but I'm not going to do a Bossy style with Tony. It was, it was quite entertaining, let me tell you. But like, I wanted to give the guy every opportunity, right, Gustafson. I wanted to, I wanted to back him in because I liked the cut of his jib and I liked how much the players seemed to like him. I wanted to give him the Asian Cup. I accepted the line about you know performance mode and preparation mode and all that sort of stuff. Then we went to the Asian Cup and we didn't get it done. And I haven't seen anything really since then, aside from a couple of games with Gory at the six, which should have, you know, I mean, that's a tap in really. You can't really claim that. Um, but like, I'm waiting. I don't, I want to have faith in this team on the road to the World Cup next year, but I'm finding it difficult to have faith in this team right now and the way it's set up. 
and the way they're performing when we've got a playing group that just continues to excel for their clubs. More great players doing good things in good leagues, young players getting moves overseas, etc. all this stuff. We should be way better than what we are right now. And that's even accounting for the rise of women's football across the world and particularly in Europe. I accept that. That's true. Um, it's getting harder to stay up the top end of women's national teams. But I can't look at that 11 and think, you guys should be doing way better. Or like, you know, I'm not seeing enough. I, I, I just don't feel like I can be rock solid with Tony G at the helm right now. And I would love to be proved wrong with a couple of great performances against Canada. But I doubt we will. They might get a win. I don't know what's really going to happen. Maybe being at home soil brings it out of the girls. Um, I know they're definitely going to enjoy playing at Allianz Stadium, which as Stoll would know, we've both been there now, is, is an excellent, excellent stadium. And it's going to be a great atmosphere for that game there. Um, but uh, I was going to say the jury's out, but the jury might have delivered its verdict. It's just uh, no one's acting on it, to be honest. <laughs> You're guilty. All right. See you later. Have a great day. Yeah. What are you What are you still doing here? <laughs> no sentencing. No sentencing. Uh, the one thing I'll say, because um, we were talking well, about pitches before, hmm. is they play uh, at Allianz Stadium. Cool stadium. Really looking forward to it on the Tuesday. But there will have been uh, a rugby league and rugby union game on, I think, the Friday and the Saturday. So there's a little bit more you know, time to get the pitch in order. It's not great either. To, to be honest, you know, I understand why they're doing it. And it's got, it's going to be a big first test of, of how the pitch looks on Tuesday night. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, as for Gustafsson, I'm excited to see uh, the new excuses that we get for this time around for the poor performances. Uh, the reason uh, the pitch was bad, uh, but, you know, someone else about Australian football, I don't know, expand the W League or whatever. Whatever. All right, it'll just be the same stuff. Uh, you know, I, I hope to be proved wrong, but hope is not a strategy. I think he uh, needs to bring uh, bring out the whiteboard here, Nick. Yeah, like, so. you know, like I think back to that preview. Who were they playing against in that camp? Was it Brazil? The You know, the camp. Yeah, and, when he got the... And it was yeah. a real siege mentality. He brings out the whiteboard and everything mm-hmm. was okay after that. It's, just, yeah. it's, it's a good time to bring out the... Draw us another picture. You know? I don't know. I think I think the whiteboard's gone. You need to do a better like PowerPoint presentation now. And then every single time, it, it, every single time it goes worse, the presentations need to get better. So then suddenly it's yeah. like an inspirational video that goes for about four minutes. You know, maybe the Wanderers people can help him with that because they always do a good uh, yeah. start of the season one that gets us all revved up. And then, and then after that, he can do like one of those drone shows, you know, those light shows with the drones. <laughs> and he just needs to step it up basically every time, every window. Tony needs to really step up his... Cinematography, basically, is what we're what we're saying. Look, Tony, prove us wrong, please. I, I well, am begging you. I mean, yeah, you're you're both saying that prove us wrong and all of that. I, I think that it's like the case, like Gustafsson, like for the vast majority of the Australian football public, he entered with massive amounts of goodwill, mm. didn't he? Like everybody seemed to be really excited about what. It, this isn't a case where like people are out to get the coach or anything like that. Just the results haven't been there. And the thing like Nick Stoll, you talked about his excuses, his litany of excuses. The thing that infuriates me is that each time he's got the new excuse, it's a sort, it's a reasonable excuse. You know, like this happened, this happened, this happened, but there's never any action to one. There's never like these excuses keep popping up and, why aren't you doing things ahead of time to stop that from happening? Like, 
there's like either there's a, either he's a terrible forward planner or the excuses are just excuses. Like it just the tra- I agree with you, Vince. The trajectory hasn't um the trajectory is not the right trajectory it needs to be. I mean, we are now less than a year out from a home women's world cup and you look at it. I saw a lot of comments surrounding this is what you have to look forward to Australia next year is surrounding the women's euros in England. Amazing scenes, fantastic scenes. It, and it looks like that's really kickstarting a movement over there. And it's great to see what shouldn't be glossed over. I think in the analysis of all of that is England won the thing on home soil. If England get knocked out by Spain in that, you know, back and forth game in the first game of the knockout stages, is the moment as big as it is? Like, so I don't think it can be just taken for granted that we will get that gigantic moment um, here in Australia, like they've gotten in England from the women's Euros, if we don't see improvements from the team. I don't think it just can be taken for granted that, you know, God forbid if the Matildas get knocked out in the group stages or bundled out in the round of 16, that we'll get this explosion that we're being promised, if you know what I mean. I'll tell you what will really help if Sam Kerr uh, wins the Ballon d'Or or goes, well, if she wins it, it'll, that'll massively help. If, if there's a superstar to watch, Australia will come out. So I think... Oh, Australia will come out regardless. It's going to be fun. It's just mm. how deep the Matilda's going to go and how much we're going to harness this tournament for what it could be for the game. And look... I feel like every so often Australian football gets to play a couple of get out of of jail free cards and we just played two against Peru. And then before that, when we got the hosting rights for the tournament next year, so we just used two. So I feel Mm. like we're going to, you know, we're chewing up our luck a little bit and (laughs) I can't have faith. Yeah. And I can't have faith that we're going to somehow produce the goods out of nowhere unless we start putting it together on the field and it starts now. It has to. Otherwise, what, it's going to be like two, three windows into the World Cup, and then it's like, Mm. come on. Well, we'll see how they go next Saturday. We'll be sure to bring in um, Taryn Heddo um, onto next week's show for all the reaction from that game. But we're going to blast through a few of the subjects now because we want to maximize Vince Regari's pearls of wisdom before we have to say goodbye to him at some point. But before we move on to the next issue, I also need to bring in another guest the amazing Teo Pelizzeri. And I've just realized I'm surrounded by people that work in Sydney. It is one Melbourneian and three Sydney's <laughs> that are now on this show. What the hell has happened to the national curriculum? Someone it's, called uh, it the Victorian curriculum, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Well, Teo, how are you, mate? I can't hear a word you're saying, mate. You need to turn yourself up. You're wearing multiple headphones. I think that's the issue. <laughs> Pick one. No, it's terrible. No, no. Uh, All right. Well, while, Te- while Teo tries to fix his microphone, I'll introduce the um, next topic. James Johnson um, has received a contract extension from Football Australia. He's sticking around. Um, as you tweeted out, Vince Regari, a lot of people in Australian football that he'd be on the first plane out of here after the Women's World Cup, but he is sticking around after recently appointing Ernie Merrick as his chief football officer. And now um, he will be around to try to implement a lot of the reforms he's talked about. Um, Vince, what was your reaction when you saw the press release hit your inbox? Uh, I thought 
uh, I suppose I was surprised in a good way. And by surprise, I mean, like, I'd asked the question of FA a while ago, like, you know, is this guy going to bail straight after the Women's World Cup? And they told me no. And I was like, all right. And then you eventually get confirmation of it. And I think it's good because, look, um, is he perfect? No. Is there such a thing as a perfect CEO? Probably not. Um, he's literally a month or two after he started, COVID happened. So a lot of the plans he would have had coming into the job would have been pretty, you know, destroyed pretty much. Um, I think the organization seems to have recovered pretty well. Are they getting everything right? I don't think so. Are they getting most things right though? Or is the intent correct from them? I think yes. And I think knowing that he's going to be here beyond next year's World Cup and to the end of 2024 will hopefully make it maybe a little bit easier. Maybe maybe that's naive to think that it's going to be easier for some of his reforms that he's pushing through to get traction with those who are opposing them. I know that, you know, as you said, Joey, a lot of people in the game seemed to think he was going to cut and run pretty quickly and therefore probably looked at some of the things he's putting on the table and have been thinking... Uh, well, you just want it to look good on your resume so that when you leave and go to Europe, you can tell everyone you did a good job. Well, that's not in play anymore. And I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm hopeful that things are going to get better from here um, at FA. I mean, I think the National Second Division, I've obviously toed and froed on. I mean, I to and fro on the whole football below the A-League matter every single day. It's one of the things I think the most about. But I think the Second Division is a step in the right direction and I'd love to see it happen, you know, and I'd love to see a transfer system happen because I like the intent that he's trying to basically make it so that more clubs in our country are producing elite talent than just the 12 or 11 we have in this country right now in the A-League. So those are steps in the direction we need to be taking as a game. Um, I think it's good that he'll see them through. We can make a full judgment on the Johnson era a little bit later or, you know, when it's over. But I think for now, good. Yeah. I think before I throw to you, Teo Pelizzari, to see if uh, your microphone issues are resolved. I saw. Well, let's I find see... out now. I mean, we oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah. We can oh, hear you loud right. and clear. So yes, this is your to... fault, Joey. You said I work in Sydney and the microphone didn't work. My employers <laughs> are based in Sydney, but I can, you know, not everything always works in that sense. All right. Continue. All right. So before I get your thoughts on James Johnson extension, I, I feel as though this the news of this extension coming through can sort of act as, well, the end of Act 1 of James Johnson's sort of tenure as FACO. We can judge when you are judging what he's done up to this point. As you mentioned, Vince, it has to be viewed through the prism of COVID and trying to react to that and basically keep the lights on. Um, at what, what was Football Federation Australia before he changed the name to Football Australia. So now I think that can you can take all that into account, but now moving forward, it's really the time for him to start delivering on all of these promises. We've heard about the National Second Division. We've heard about the domestic transfer system. We've heard about a reinvigoration of Australia's youth sides, um, which, as Teo has pointed out on this show in the past, is really just restarting all the youth sides that we previously had pre-COVID. But it's a revolution nonetheless. We've got um, Chief Football Officer Ernie Merrick now to disrupt Australian football. I want to start seeing results. And I, I, I want to see not... I, I want to see 
the the firefighting has been done. I want to see building now. I want to see actual new stuff being accomplished. You know, even the little things. I want a naming rights sponsor for the Australia Cup, as you pointed out, Vince. I want um, a naming rights sponsor for the Socceroos. Um, you know, just sort out all of these sort of things and then deliver on your major marquee promises because, yes, you've got the extension. You couldn't do what you wanted to do in the first few years, but it's sort of the same way that I see the APL with the A-Leagues heading into this season. Yes, the world will never be the same after COVID, but COVID's not the excuse that it was anymore. Got to start delivering now. So that's what I sort of see with James Johnson. Teo, what was your reaction to James Johnson's extension? I think the important thing to remember is as much as everyone bangs on about unity in the game, the separation of APL and Football Australia has given both bodies a great chance to tell the public what they're not responsible for. (laughs) And I feel as though you can measure the performance of both organisations by how infrequently they say, actually, we don't handle that. The APL or the FFA handles that. Great example, Western United not having a stadium right? So that license was granted, but now FFA or Football Australia runs the licensing system. But Football Australia will tell you that license has already been awarded and any club licensing we do from this point forward is to do with other clubs that want to aspire to that level and Western United's license is the responsibility of the APL. Great. Okay. You know, when we had, say, the Young Matildas, outside of Taron on this very podcast, all of the analysis has essentially been critique of our national teams run by the FFA has actually been a critique of the state of A-League women. Well, that doesn't help because Football Australia doesn't run the A-League women anymore. Very convenient to sling mud over the fence or have your proxies do it for you. But what I want to hear is what you are doing and not not what you're not responsible for. Simple as that. Both sides, by the way. That was, and, and that has been what I'm hoping for both before and after the contract renewal. And, you know, so be it. I think that uh, James Johnson is probably the best option we got at the moment and hosting the World Cup and then having sort of a grace period afterwards, you know, introduction of national second division. I'm actually pretty certain he will leave Football Australia in a, in a better position than he found it because of the effect the World Cup is going to have on participation and potential ability to lobby within governments, local, state, for facilities and what have you. And uh, I do think there'll be a bump for both A-Leagues as well. But um, you've got to live that first. And why shouldn't he be able to take a victory lap afterwards rather than leave immediately onto whatever may tickle his fancy next? Well, Nick Stoll... We've talked a lot about what myself, Vince Taylor, we've talked a lot about what we'd like to see. What what do you think is James Johnson's biggest priority in the next 12 months? Oh, it's, I mean, it's got to be the national second division. I mean, that's your chance to have a legacy uh, beyond. But even just then, I was just thinking about like, you know, because a few people asked in the comments, what's he done and da 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 and, you know, you how much responsibility he can take for this, but you can say the good is that the Socceroos did in fact qualify for the World Cup. We got there by the skin of our teeth and a dancing wiggle, but we did get there. Um, You know, we have the Women's World Cup, how we're placed to maximize that moment and and how the Matildas will go is another question. Um, You know, I I gave my thoughts on uh, the appointment of Ernie Merrick a few weeks ago, not a fan, Uh, but 
ultimately, you know, he has done some things. He's done some things quite well. The, the, you know, there was the 11 principles when they came out and there, there was some good stuff in there. But then you think about kind of his predecessors. There's a lot of pretty ordinary operators there. So, you know, I, I think like if I was comparing him right now, has he done a better job than Ben Buckley? I would say yes. Has he done a better job than David Gallup? I'd say yes. Has he done a better job than um, who was the guy who came from rugby uh, back in the John O'Neill? John O'Neill. Uh, I mean, John O'Neill, it's a tough one to remember because I was quite young at the time. So I didn't know the full context. And also he kind of radically changed uh, in terms of there was the move to the A-League. Uh, you know, the Socceroos did qualify for the World Cup at that time for the first time in 32 years. Having said all that, um, the long-term effects of some of his decisions – maybe put Australian football in a potentially worse place than it could have been. So thinking of all the predecessors and all the CEOs uh, that Football Australia has had, yeah, like I'm not sure that if there's someone better out there, let's have someone better. But right now I, I don't know who that is. And, and so I'm, I'm inclined to just say, well, all right, yep, that, that makes sense. I'll get to you in a second, Tay, on Johnson's top priority. But I do want to say whilst, yes, as I pointed out, I'm going to be grading Johnson very harshly from here on out because he's got a lot of goals. Football Australia certainly talk a big game about what they're going to accomplish. I mean, he's an internationally respected executive as per um, the release announcing his contract extension. So once again, as much as Australian football entities might not like it, we will judge them by their own words and their own standards on that front. But I do, having said all that, I am going to go into bat for him in the sense of people asking what he's done. COVID was an incredibly difficult period for everybody. You know, Football Australia, everybody. I speak from my own experience uh, on the board as the chair of the board of a national charity here in Australia, not-for-profit. Football Australia is a not-for-profit. We obviously operate in different things, but that was an incredibly difficult time. Like, I was... Yeah, email, constant emails, constant phone calls, trying to figure out what's going to happen to your revenue because you didn't know. You didn't know just how things were going to play out, how long lockdowns were going to be, which sponsors were going to pull out, where your money was coming from, all of that. So I think he does deserve credit for the fact that Football Australia didn't go into insolvency during COVID because, I mean, you can just nod for this, everybody around the screen. Would anybody have been surprised like really surprised if FA went insolvent because of COVID. Like it was Australian football's history. I don't think any of us would. So I do have to give him credit for that, even if I'm going to be the Russian judge moving forward. But Teo, what do you think his biggest priority moving forward is? Okay. 2021 participation report. Don't let your eyes glaze over, please. Um, total, total outfield participants. So these are people who actually sign up for a rego, whether they're mini roos or juniors or seniors, and play a full season. Uh, you know, the overall number, sort of the marketing number to compete with the AFL in cricket is 1.4 million total participants. But the outdoor football number is 547,000, of which 130,000 is women and girls and 417,000 is men and boys. And then mini roos alone, 55,000 out of the 130,000 women's are mini roos, which is a huge percentage, right? So we hear about 50-50 participation. And whether that's 2030 or whether a bit like the uh, the NSD in the early days, it just keeps moving back a year. But if we're going to get to 50-50 participation, we need to find 
what is that? Almost 300,000 more female players or men's football needs to go in the tank. I mean, and no one wants that. So if the magic number is 547,000 after the Women's World Cup, so it's going to be in the middle of an Australian winter, in the middle of a season, what programs, what mini-roos initiatives, what sort of half-season initiatives are being run in order to register people right there on the scene mid-season? But then, crucially, the winter season of 2024, what does that number need to be? Is it unrealistic to say it could be 650,000? Is it unrealistic to say it could be 700,000? And again, I'm sure the, the PR number could be 2 million, and that's great, and that could go up by a lot. But the most important thing, the priority for me, is what is that number and what was done to boost that number? Now, I do know that they're adding capacity behind the scenes. They're building a better and new registration portal, but it can't just be there ready for when the interest is peaked. It is also peaking the interest and being able to catch it once it happens. So I don't know what the magic number is, and I don't know. We haven't had it benchmarked for us. I'm pretty sure no one has come out and said after the Women's World Cup, 547k is going to become 700k or 750k or whatever it's going to be and a lot of people and a lot of clubs will tell you well we're at max capacity we have a synthetic it runs from 8am to 10pm saturday and sunday we can't do more we literally can't take on more players so that is part of the question as well and sorry to go full federation nerd here but this is the thing that interests me because that extra uptake in participation is what's going to make the game all its money to pay for everything else, to pay for Marcelo Bielsa, to pay for whatever happens with our women's youth national teams, to pay for us to, I don't know, buy the insurance premium so we can send our junior teams to Basra if we get drawn in Basra, <laughs> you know, uh, for us to grease the palms of immigration so that when North Korea gets drawn in our group in Australia, we don't have to forfeit hosting rights, etc. Et <laughs> hey, just on that, like... I'm not sure to how much JJ is like going to be directly responsible for how many people pick up the game after the women's world cup. Right. Like, I think that's just going to be like a, like a big vibe that sweeps through the country. Right. And it's just going to be a matter of how much this tournament happens to touch individuals, you know, and how much this is the hook that in their childhood makes them want to follow this sport. But, but you, right? but as but, a CEO, he, he still yeah, employs all the yeah, staff yeah. that is let the me, apparatus me... to embrace that hook. Yeah, let me, let me finish the rest of the sentence. Um, the rest of the sentence was, but it is his job to prepare for this so-called tidal wave of participation that is supposed to be coming. Like, Fatma Sora in also ago and said, um, you know, and I think she was, uh, this sounded rubbish to me, but it, she said basically participation will increase threefold. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case, whatever, what will be, will be on that, but it's his job to make sure we're ready for that. And to be honest, judging by what they've got so far in commitment from governments for their legacy stuff, uh, I know uh, people here in FA type say the word legacy. And like you said before, eyes glaze over, right? But they got like $290 million already committed to, I think they had a goal of something like $360 million from government or whatever to pay for basically everything they think needs to be done to be ready for what Australia is going to be like after this World Cup. So to be to be honest, for a game that's always struggled to get money out of government and that sort of stuff, they got two hundred ninety million dollars out of uh, various state and federal governments for this, which is that's not bad. I mean, I wish it was more, but 
if yeah, we're looking Vince, at numbers mate, that we can market in, inflation inflation 290 million is yeah, like 10 well, bucks now all right now you can't yeah, even fill your tank for 290 fair. million all right that's and true, if, it's, if it is if it is threefold that takes us from 130,000 female participants to uh 390,000 almost 400,000 which would almost bring us up to the 50-50 um uh objective if that was actually to happen so hey i'd be all for it but you know the the staff and the apparatus it needs to be in place to embrace it and as the biggest problem we used to hit in victoria is there were destination clubs and if people couldn't get into the a b c d e team of the under 13s or under 14s at the destination club they didn't choose the one down the road they just Mm. didn't play that was the biggest issue as well we need to build better clubs to be able to embrace the overflow when the club that everyone Googles and gets the first Google match or the one that's got the reputation among parents as being the best to go and play for once that one's full. Definitely. Definitely. Hey guys, we know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game from super rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks and even further afield available wherever you get your pods. Well, I'm going to move us on now to uh, Asian, not Asian Champions League, European Champions League, Ange Postacoglu. Before I do, though, Vince, the chat's having a go at me for not letting you talk enough. What's your biggest priority for JJ moving forward real quick before we get to Ange? Uh, provide the national curriculum with the three power of veto cards <laughs> that I mentioned earlier. Uh, do that. Guys, and... I think a sub rule should be I would have to be on the show when those cards are used. I'm happy to come on. No problem. I just want to say, but his number one priority should be basically let us decide three things, whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do them. And the game will be better for it. Like you just can't argue against that. Well, James Johnson, open invitation to come on the national curriculum. We can haggle. We can have a negotiation, you know. You're a businessman. Uh, there's, We're there's, serious. There's people. no negotiation here. It's, th- it's three. It's, or it's nothing. It's come on. Well, moving on now to we had the Champions League draw um, during the week, and we should get to this because we have two people employed by nine um, on the show who also uh, who have the rights to the Champions League. Of course, ESPN is a fantastic network as well, and you should uh, um, watch ESPN and subscribe to Disney Plus. But Ange Postacoglu <laughs> in the Champions League, and yes, Teo Pelizzari of the sport is another, and Paramount, and Paramount Plus as well. And, and, and subscribe to NPL TV as well, you know, that, that, that's clutch. Um, but we did find out the fate of uh, Ange Postacoglu and Celtic and you can't, you know, you can't go past their first opponents in the Champions League. He's only gone and, gone and drawn Real Madrid. The cover your ears, Nick Stoll, the biggest club in the world right now. <laughs> I mean, not very effective when wearing headphones. Actually, just makes you louder. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, look, it's in, it's an amazing, incredible story. I mean, welcome to the Champions League. Uh, if first game is at home to the greatest uh, team of all time, and then your second game is against a team that is uh, playing in a different country because of uh, war. I think it doesn't get much more Europe uh, than that. So. It, it, it's an amazing thing. It's it's going to be, I think, an amazing thing. And the, kind of the important thing, and me and Vince are talking about this off air, but it is potentially they can get out of that group, which is important. You have 
the massive experience of playing uh, in the Bernabeu and, and bringing Real Madrid and that the atmosphere is going to be incredible at, at, uh, at their home stadium. And, you know, those famous Celtic nights that they've had there. I, I just think it's going to be really interesting. Kind of the, maybe the game that will focus on least is going to be the crucial games, which I think are going to be the two games against RB Leipzig. Now RB Leipzig, we know they're going to press the hell out of Ange's Celtic and more so than Celtic ever experience in the Scottish premiership. So, how they play out, you know, how they approach that game, how they deal with that pressure. That's going to be really interesting. And and I'm very hopeful uh, that they can get through to the second round. I, I'm i not hugely confident. I reckon probably third is more likely. Uh, but, you know, look, every week we come on and there's massive issues in Australian football. But one of our guys, well, three of our guys, if you count Harry Kill and Aaron Moy, are going to go up against the biggest team in the world, on the biggest stage. It doesn't get bigger than the Champions League. Subscribe on Stan Sport. Um, yeah, you know, totally. the, it's 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 incredible. The the like literally the world will be watching. And I'm very proud of that fact. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna Man. throw to you in a second, Vince, but we should quickly let the podcast viewers and listeners know they are in group F, Real Madrid, RB Lightspeak, Lightspeak, Shakhtar Donetsk, and Celtic in that group. But Vince, what was your reaction? Uh look, so a couple of things. First is uh, I've sensed a bit of Ange fatigue in some corners of soccer Twitter and Australian soccer. I think uh, I understand that it can be a little bit overbearing sometimes hearing about how good this guy is and, and how he's basically reinvented football, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? We are world champions at diagnosing all the problems that we have and being depressed about how we're never going to fix them and being down in the dumps and, you know what? I feel like when Ange was in Australia doing the same thing he's doing right now, the same thing he did in Japan, we didn't fully appreciate what we had while he was here. I don't know if we fully appreciated Ross Alona. I don't know if we fully appreciated what he did with the Socceroos. I know it ended badly, but this guy is an incredible coach. And I think we should enjoy every single moment that he's in a tournament like the Champions League at the helm of a club like Celtic. Uh, and especially when every indication is that they love him there. And it's so great. And that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing was, I don't think this draw could have gotten any better for Celtic. Like, if you look at the teams, all right, you're going to get a big team in pot one. That's just how it works. And to be honest, they got the one they wanted in pot one, which was Real Madrid, because why not? You know, let's go. Let's have the champions. It's as big as it gets. This is what football is all about. You want the big tests. That's fun. Pot two. Uh, Let me just bring it up here. So they could have had Liverpool, Chelsea, Barcelona, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, or Spurs, or Leipzig. I think they got the team they wanted in pot two. And in pot three, Dortmund, uh, Shakhtar, Red Bull Salzburg, Inter, Napoli, Benfica, Sporting Lisbon, Bayer Leverkusen. I reckon they got the team they wanted in pot three as well. Um, So, you know, I'm not sure there's better options that they could have had. Whether they'll qualify or not, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure they're not going to disgrace themselves because... I couldn't tell you the last time one of Andrew's teams in any country disgraced themselves. I think this is going to be an incredible journey. And I think for Australian football, these six Champions League mornings are going to be really, really special. Something we haven't experienced before. Um, we should lap it up. Absolutely. Uh, I think there's more to come from Ange in Europe too. I don't think Celtic is going to be the biggest club he's going to work at, is my personal opinion. Um, but, I mean, in the entire existence of Australian football, we haven't had a coach working at this level. Let's soak it in and enjoy it. This is great fun. This is this is excellent. This is what we want our game to be. We want people doing things like this in Europe so that are reminding us back here, slaving away 
in the ugly salt mine that is Australian soccer sometimes that, hey, you know what? You can actually get out of here. And we are connected to this bigger thing around the world at club level where if you do your thing here, you can get there. It's possible. And that's what Andrew Celtic to me is proving. Vince, i got a, a sort of a multi-part question for you. So the little quick fire one off the top is, when you mentioned Ange Fatigue, I think I saw the very tweet which may have prompted you to say that and then your response to it. Is it just part and parcel that Rangers fan base, uh, of which there is a significant number in Australia, must really resent the fact that the nation has rallied around Celtic? It could have been any big global team, but it just happened to be one that is in perhaps the most toxic rivalry in world football. Yeah, look, I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. Like, I think uh, the Rangers fans just must be absolutely... Uh, you'd hate it, to be honest. If you're an Australian Rangers fan, uh, imagine being like a Brisbane Raw fan who's a Rangers fan. Like, there's a, I think there's a few of those. Like, and just... Uh, you'd, this is as bad as it gets. Like, this is terrible for you. I think it's beyond that a little bit, though. I think there's just a... I don't know. There's a cynical tendency in Australian football to... Uh, that has a certain amount of people who are like, whatever the popular thing is or whatever everyone's talking about at that moment, ah, it's not that good. Why are you going on about it sort of thing? No, I well, think but that's, so that's a big part of it too. Th- this, this actually ties back to your discussion earlier about the lack of cut through in the Australia Cup. I think that if you open up a news website that covers football or the football section of a broader website, like say 9, 7, ABC, Channel 10, whatever, and there's an article there about Ange instead of about the Australia Cup kicking off. Yes, Ange is probably the biggest story. But I think there's also that sense of resentment that, you know, are we robbing Peter to pay Paul? If everyone's writing about Postacoglu, is it, and then even the people that would normally give the time of day to the Australia Cup. Uh, I mean, the A-League women's season is going to be kicking off right when the World Cup starts. Uh, are people going to be dropping the A-League women's and pretending it doesn't exist for the four weeks that the World Cup is on uh, because they're going to abandon their post and go and cover the World Cup instead of covering perhaps the football that maybe they've built a reputation in or, or perhaps they've... I, I say this from a point of self-interest, of course. But mm. um, my, my, like point, my point is that is, is some of... Sorry, Joey. Is some <laughs> of that sort of Ange fatigue... Because people see the bylines and the names and the journos that used to cover the Australian game, still covering the Australian game because Ange is the number one story. But they cover the number one story at the expense of the stuff they used to cover, giving that more oxygen. And, and maybe that's the reason why an Australia Cup kind of kicked off. And, you know, other than Joey's preview piece on Optus and maybe the official website, there just wasn't very much. Yeah. Look, I don't know how to answer that. Like, maybe, like... I don't see it as zero sum. Like, I don't think that just because I've written a few Ange articles that I would have been able to write about, say, you know, Sydney United winning a game or anything like that. Um, I don't think it really works like that in reality in a newsroom. And I think, like, I think the other thing to, like, a lot of people should, like, think about when you're asking yourself why has a certain outlet not ran a certain article about something that I'm interested in is... Uh, newsrooms have never before had so much data and information at their fingertips in terms of they know everything that you read and what you're interested in. Um, They know what their audience subscribers want. And if you're not seeing something that you'd like to read, it's probably because no one else is that interested is the sad reality. And a lot of people are lapping up this and stuff because it is a massive story Mm. um, on the global stage. And that's great. And I just wish our game was big enough that there were more people who 
say, if I went and covered an Ant story that could pick up the slack and cover the rest of the stuff. And that's just a problem we've got with the game more broadly. We have shrunk in the last few years. Like since since the you know the heyday of the A League in mid last decade and all that, the game has shrunk. Which Ange, mid- which in my opinion, Ange was responsible for. You say we don't celebrate Rossellona enough. Rossellona is still the go to team and era that I choose for when the A League peaked. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And uh, remember back then, Fox Sports were covering the A League. They had the entire News Corp apparatus pumping up the A League throughout the summer. We had freaking press red for Heskey Cam. Yeah, the, the like <laughs> the world was so different, so much more different yeah. back then, and in particularly the Australian media world was a lot different back then. The game felt bigger because it had the support of bigger entities, and now we've lost that support. Um, the game has sort of shrunk for other reasons, also, and now we're in this situation, which is, um, yeah, look, uh, if covering Ange is at the expense of covering something else. As far as I'm concerned, so be it. Because for me, the story of what Ange is doing in Europe um, is bigger for Australian football and can have bigger impacts on Australian football than mm. anything else we could possibly write. Because it is saying what I was saying earlier, which is you can get there too. It is possible. Uh, this guy is breaking down doors and changing perceptions of how Australians are seen within football in Australia, at least in a coaching sense. I, I mean, sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but say, do we know if any of these Champions League fixtures coincide with the first weekend of the A-League men's, for example? Is, is it possible uh, that we'll be getting on to keep up and instead of promoting the first week of the A-League, we're going to be spending from Wednesday to Friday talking about Ange's first win in the Champions League, for, for example? I don't, mean, tell me you, don't tell me you were on here to you, complaining about freaking uh, the Barcelona All-Stars game taking away from the A-League grand final promotion a few months ago, huh? Don't tell yeah, me, bro. <laughs> look, I'd say, like, yeah, look, if Ange does something in the Champions League, of course the, the football media, what is left of it, will cover it. That's, that's only normal. But, I mean, the other thing is I'd just say to anyone who's super frustrated is, like, Vote with your clicks. Vote with your money. You know, click on as many stories about the A-League or, you know, the MPL or the Australia Cup as you can, if they exist, you know, share them on your social media. Uh, uh, and read it because they can actually yeah. tell how long you stay on the page these days. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think kind of, look, it's a very, we, it's a very small industry and, and that's the problem. You know, if you, if this was overseas and we were in a proper football country, you'd have journalists assigned to the Ange Postacoglu beat, but then you'd have journalists assigned to the Australia Cup beat and it wouldn't be the, you know, one journalist, whether it be Joey or, or Vince, who is trying to cover all of it, you know, from wherever they are, it's, it's too much. But the other thing I should also point out is, you know, we're talking about Anthony Coggle in the Champions League. Another thing we should remember is Matty Ryan is in the Champions League with Copenhagen and will likely start all six games. Uh, Krustic is still with Frankfurt and if he doesn't move on, I think we'll at least have a bench role like he did last season, hopefully. So he'll be uh, playing games in the Champions League or at least coming off the bench. Nikita Rukovitsa has been coming off the bench from Maccabi Haifa and they've got to play against, you know, PSG, Benfica, Juventus. Like, huge for him. So it's not just the Ange Moy kill factor, although that's obviously the biggest, most interesting story. But 
you know, I think it's going to be incredible to see Matt Ryan cop 25 shots against Manchester City uh, when Copenhagen travels there. And good luck to him. I hope he has, you know, like Jan Sommer uh, did against Bayern overnight, 19 saves. Uh, if Nikita Rukovica, imagine he scores against PSG. Uh, imagine if, you know, and Rustic uh, has, and boy, I still think Rustic for all his issues at Frankfurt. I feel still think he's one of the best players. Well, I think he's the best soccer we have. So mm. going to be interesting to see how he goes against Tottenham, Sporting, Marseille, three massive clubs. You'll get incredible atmosphere. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited. I think this is probably the most Aussies we've had in the Champions League for quite a long time. Uh, golden generation, may I say, probably is the last time we had more than four or five. Oh my god! I thought you were about to call this one golden. I was like, "Oh man!" No, no, he's not got it. But I just say, yeah, it's been a while since we've had this many players in the Champions League, and yet they're not at you know massive English, Spanish, Italian clubs, but they are there, and uh, I think that's great. Well, we'll keep talking about the Champions League in a little bit, but I think this is where we have to say farewell, Vince Regari. You've been super generous with your time. We've just hit an hour and 24 minutes, so you've almost gone the full 90. Uh, you're That's an how 80... it happens, huh? When you're in yeah, the you're show, an 84th like... minute sub. <laughs> Crazy, yeah. I don't have five more minutes left in me, so yeah. <laughs> thanks for... Um... This was fun. Sorry for avoiding it for several weeks. Uh, we should do it again. Just do it, not do it on Sunday nights, though. Like, come on, this is crazy. It's the, it's it's the once only the A League season, it'll make sense once A League men's season yeah. is underway. Yeah. yeah, every a lot, a lot more things will make sense when the A League season is underway. I feel fair. <laughs> Life will make more sense. So no, thank you guys. Uh, good chat. Keep up the fight as well. Um, and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the show. And I'll, I'll talk to you all soon. Yep. Thanks. Thanks and success, Vince. Thanks, thanks and success, success Vince. 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 Uh, I should say when the A-League season starts, uh, come to TNC because you'll hear exclusively how Ange Postacoglu has gone in the Champions League that week. We'll be all over it. We'll forget the A-League exists and we'll break down every single substitution that Celtic made and talk about it for half an hour. I'm sorry, you you can't both argue that it's it's a zero-sum game in terms of people's interest, but then it doesn't matter if people are stopping covering the Australian game to cover Ange Postacoglu. And by the way, this is not a criticism of it. Of, mm. of course you go and cover the biggest story that's going to have the biggest audience. And anything Ange does ridiculous social numbers compared to Australia Cup, A-League, men's or women's, where you're begging for any interaction on anything you post, never mind NPL or, or lower. Mm. Do you think that's one of the reasons why people are experiencing a, a bit of Ange fatigue because he is such easy likes and retweets that you'll have so many people just trying to leech off his achievements. We need someone who's actually experiencing it to tell us because I personally am not. I stayed up until 3.45 to watch the Champions League draw because even as a non-Celtic fan someone of Celtic origin, but as a non-Celtic fan, I, yeah, I, you know, it's visual humor for those of you listening to the podcast. Um, I, I stayed up until 345 just because I wanted to see who was in their group. And it's incredible. Like, and this is coming from me where sleep is such a commodity that I can rarely afford to do that on my day off. I mean, I'll I'll let you know, I'll be up editing uh, minis and highlights for Optus uh, later this morning with a 2 a.m. wake-up call to go and do La Liga this morning. Like, So the fact that I took a day off to stay up and watch the Champions League draw, I'm hooked. I, I cannot mm. actually speak from a point of Ange fatigue because I don't have it. Mm. No, I, mean, I think it's another reason 
one of there's a potential problem here that there's so much about Ange is that just sort of Ange has gone over. He went to Japan. Now he's at Celtic. And he kind of did so after feeling as though he'd been chewed up and spat out by the Australia game. Oh, so there well, isn't like, like he's obviously, he's still, there's still a real, there's still a real passion. He Look, watches the Socceroos. He watches Australian football. People yes, in stop. the world have messy fatigue. All right. I never <laughs> understand this in my life, but people will say, oh, I'm just sick of Messi winning every year. The Ballon d'Or. Well, he's oh, not man, winning it this year. Yeah, no, but it's always, oh, Messi, oh, man, it's just always about Messi. Why can't we talk about someone else? Man, he's the greatest player in the history of the game, all right? No one has ever done it as good as him consistently. Goals, assists, passing. He's the best number 10, number Goals and nine, assists. Number Craig eight, Goodwin seven, here is. Right? Whatever. Yeah, man, but people get fatigued. People just get fatigued. If we were in heaven and we had everything we ever wanted, people would eventually be like, oh, man, this heaven, these clouds, oh, my God, get over it. Man, don't worry about these people. All right, people that have TNT fatigue and losers, all of them, losers and haters, as Trump would say. I just want to come back to something Joey raised, though, because well, I'm, it, I was finishing my point, but like, well, it's the no, problem that we chewed him up and he feels Joey chewed up fatigue. and spat out, and he doesn't re-engage with Australian football in the sense that he's not. He used to be an evangelist and an ambassador for the game, and we don't like we don't really get that from him anymore he still loves the game you still watch it he's still engaged he still watches Socceroos games he still watches South play but mm. there's not that evangelicism that there used to be well but I and think we're back putting to, so much focus on him I think back to his on-pitch interview after Celtic won the league right and he spoke about this is a, a football nation we don't have this in Australia and he kind of you know elaborated a bit more on his thoughts I can't remember his exact quote so I don't want to misquote him but it made me feel so insecure about what I was contributing to the game that it wasn't enough. And to hear him talk about how he'd come to a football country, this is what he'd wanted for all his life, and he couldn't get it in Australia, it made me feel completely inadequate, to be honest. And as I was driving the two-hour round trip out to Adenza Park to commentate a NPL game in front of 50 people uh, later, the, <laughs> later that Sunday, I was genuinely thinking, I'm still not doing enough. And, you know, if that's how it made me feel, imagine how it made people in greater positions of responsibility feel. And I'm sure that people with egos far bigger than mine would not have taken kindly to that. Uh, look, I think any fatigue is also the fact that he is the only one. You know, if we had four coaches over there and the stories could be spread out a bit more and the different personalities, it's just... Well, it... the, new, the new Saints let us down with Anthony Limbrick uh, losing to Linfield in the <laughs> first round of Champions League qualifying. Yeah, look how close Linfield got to going through. That could have yeah, been TNS. That could have been yeah. Anthony Limbrick. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. look, and there's another cold debate in that about um, the fact that UEFA doesn't recognise uh, Australian coaching licences, uh, which is an issue that, you know, Kevin Musket has faced and uh, David Zrilich has faced as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I, I'd, I'd say to Teo, I think you're doing – an incredible amount uh, for Australian football, given how many different jobs you have. But it, it doesn't change how hearing that made me feel, Nick. Yeah, and that's true. I'm sure a lot of people would have felt, are we channeling what we do for the game the right way? You know, there's there's also something, as much as Ange's career is going to the moon, there also seems to be a, an incredible feeling of selflessness about it. You know, the fans love him, the players love him, the the media loves him. And they should 
because the way he goes about it has just been first class. And and again, I don't want to, you know, have to get someone else to start my car. So, you know, relax if you hate Celtic. But I mean, the the love in would be the love in will be universal regardless of of where he goes next after the Celtic gig too. I I he's just that sort of manager. I let me ask you guys. I just no, I just want to quickly through. I want to quickly respond to Shotsky's comment. Um, I disagree that Ange was chewed up and spat out. That is obviously a point of contention. Um, I was following along briefly, but that was sort of like the same time I had my stem cell transplant and my graft versus host disease. I'm not able to say one way or another. I might have my inklings one way or another. I'm not saying he was or he wasn't. Like I have my inklings. I'm not confident enough to say them on air. I'm saying that's what he obviously feels. Shotsky's. Mm. He feels like he was chewed up and spat out. So, and, and history history is written by the winners. Let's not forget too. Mm. Yeah, and he's um, winning a lot right now. Um, but just quickly, uh, we'll get the plug in for Nick Stoll's friends. The full Champions League groups. So, Group A: Ajax, Liverpool, Napoli, and Rangers. Group B: Porto, uh, Atletico Madrid, Leverkusen, and Club Bruges, which has Paul Ocon as an assistant. Another Aussie that mm. will be featuring. In yeah, the Champions point. League group stages, can, I, can we hold on? Stop. Can we do an Australian connection to every single group? All right, Liverpool, Craig Johnson, and Harry Kiel both won Champions League. There, cool. All right, Group C, okay. go. Group C: Bayern München, Barcelona, Inter, and Victoria Pilsen. Ah, uh, Victoria <laughs> Pilsen play against that team with the kangaroo, Bohemians Prague, and Inter Milan once had a Renault Piscopo on their books. Bang. <laughs> group D: Eintracht Frankfurt. Spurs, Sporting, and Marseille. Easy one. Eintracht Frankfurt, Frustich. Uh, Tottenham, Massimo Luongo. Uh, Sporting Lisbon, Tristan Hammond. Uh, and who's the fourth team in that? Marseille. Mm, there's an Australian Marseille supporters club in Melbourne. What I say? Marseille-Frankfurt should be a, uh interesting spectacle. Well, both games. Good fan- luck, local police. Yeah, group uh, group E. Oh no, sorry, group E. Yeah, uh, Milan, Chelsea, Salzburg, and Dinamo Zagreb. I mean, easy. First of all, uh, Denny Urich is still contracted to uh, uh, Dinamo Zagreb, although he's out on loan at the moment. Um, Milan, Zelko Kalac won a Champions League with them. Uh, Chelsea, Mark Swartzer played in a Champions League semi final with them, and Stuttgart next. <laughs> Group F. We, we uh, drew right, with Croatia right. in, in Stuttgart uh, at the World okay. Cup. Group F. I'm going to blast through this one. Madrid, yeah. uh, Red Bull, Shakhtar, Donetsk, Celtic. We all, we've discussed that one in depth. Group yeah. G. Manchester City, Sevilla, Dortmund, Copenhagen. Matty Ryan, next. Group H. PSG, Juve, Benfica, and Maccabi Haifa. Maccabi Haifa, Nikita Rukovica, and Benfica, B-team. Casper's after, but uh, Paul Ocon Jr. is at Benfica with the B team or the under 19s or something like that. So, hopefully, injury crisis hits Benfica. COVID takes out the whole starting 11. Paul Ocon's son is uh, Paul Ocon Jr. is put into the first team. Well, I read Against through all PSG. those groups. Not allowed to say any Celtic games. What games or group are you most looking forward to and why? Oh, I mean. the Victoria Pilsen group. Um, just because the other three are going to be, we could see. Oh, actually, Inter aren't fantastic. They could blow it. No, but they're not. I think that that's probably the most interesting group for me. 
Uh, yes, I'm very interested to see how Barcelona goes and how quickly we can pull a lever when we're down 3-0 to Bayern <laughs> early on. Um, With Lewandowski scoring yeah. goals. No, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of very much focused uh, on the Aussies, but it will be interesting uh, to see, I think, also in Group A, uh, you know, four massive teams kind of. I think Liverpool come first, but who comes second? Got to tell you what I'm, it might just be the familial connection in here, my old man supporting them. I'm intrigued to see how Spurs go under Conte. Actually, I think that's the least interesting group, Joey. I think Spurs. Are I didn't say the group. It. I just said Spurs. Spurs, but that's the thing. We're assuming that they're winning that group. It's it is a it's a conference league level group. <laughs> exactly. So Brutal. Brutal. it's Spurs. Spurs should win that group, and then mount a decent case. One would hope on the uh, the uh, the knockout stages. So I am intrigued to see Spurs throughout this. Uh, can, can I just say? Does anyone think? A nation outside mm. of the big five could win the conference league this year. But like Fiorentina's in there, West Ham's in there. Somebody in the comments uh, certainly hopes so. Uh Villarreal Villare- <laughs> Villare- is out. in there. Yeah, Lockie Flanagan saying, uh, will TNC also be reacting to the Europa Conference League groups, asking for a hearts supporting friend. So do, <laughs> I mean, last last uh, season's final was Roma versus Feyenoord. Do we think that the big five are going to continue to largely control the Conference League or will we get a, a minnow nation? Because there was a lot of excitement about a team from Armenia, a team from Lithuania, and a team, a Vaduz from Liechtenstein, all actually getting through to the group stage. And I believe in the case of Lithuania and Liechtenstein, the very first time that a team from those nations has ever made it through to a group stage of any uh, European competition. I would love to see that happen but in terms of the conference league uh Villarreal is in there and Unai Emery is just a machine at winning European trophies so I think and we, we also do you still drop from the Europa League yes. back to the conference yeah so we, we can't yeah. really yeah I guess that'll make it pretty tricky so there's, it, there's... Could be, it could be Arsenal or Man U for all we know <laughs> yeah exactly um, um and yes yeah, I will admit there is only so many hours in the day. There is only so much football one can consume. I have no idea about the Conference League. There is just too well, no, much because football. I think we, there was a big Australian connection to that as well, Nick Stoll, which from a yes. stand perspective, you may be able to speak to a bit further. Uh, yes, of course. There was, uh, well, there's um, the Hearts players are all in there as well so <laughs> there's yeah those random hearts guys lucky <laughs> flanagan in ruins lucky <laughs> flanagan uh please comment uh all the aussies who are at hearts because i forget um but look every competition no, I'm, on sorry so i meant i meant oh. adriano del monte doing the draw i didn't mean the hearts. oh <laughs> sorry um yeah uh, congratulations to adriano del monte for doing the draw uh i didn't see it myself but i did <laughs> like his post on instagram so that's the real thing <laughs> That's the real support. <laughs> All right. We're going to get back to, we're going to stop um, ignoring Australian football. We're going to get back and look at some A-League situation. And unfortunately for our Western Australian friends, it's not good news for Perth Glory. Re- reports are emerging that they might be forced out of their home for an even longer period of time. Of course, we already knew that they were going to be shut out of their home stadium for, during early in the season because of renovations um, to HBF Park to bring it up to standard for the Women's World Cup. And now reports have emerging that they could be losing even more home games in January. 
Um, I think the article um, said by the West it was behind a paywall, so I have to go off um, some summaries that I've found. Um, but obviously, <laughs> quality journalism. This is what this is freelance journalism looks like, you know, when you can't <laughs> you can, afford all you the can very. Can it on tax, all right. Uh, I, I'm not good at that sort of stuff. Um, so, but obviously, this leaves Perth Glory in a bit of a pickle. The, I mean, uh, look. They, we saw what happens with them last season. Basically, had to spend the entire season on the road. By the end of it, they were just getting the shit kicked out of them every single week. Morale was at an all-time low. Financially, it was catastrophic for the club not being able to play any home games. So that would obviously be terrible for them. They could try to find other venues in um, Perth, in Western Australia, but what are up to standard? What are up to broadcasting standard? What you know, a lot of them don't have. Uh, many if any corporate facilities and stuff that you can is a real money spinner that way so it's a real unfortunate situation that appears to be facing down Perth Glory yet again who um, I can't you know, a few of their fans I actually saw on social media before these news came out were beginning to feel a bit optimistic about the coming A-League men's season the signings that they'd made they were feeling like Maybe they weren't going to be so shit this season, but now this has been a real gut punch for them. Look, here's what I'll say about Perth Glory. Ever since Tony Sage tried to sell that club for Magic Beans to a Guy Ritchie character, the club has been cursed, all right? Whether it's been the pandemic that, you know, they had to be on the East Coast for the so long, uh, the Daniel Sturridge situation, uh, they've been awful. Uh, they lost, you know, Tony Popovich. They lost, I don't know, Jacob Burns and their, their entire football department. That club has been cursed. Tony Sage, he, he bought a curse. That's what he did when Jim Aylward was in the back of that limousine and he was talking about this utility the, for the token. Yeah, all that stuff. nonsense. All right. Exciting oh. stuff. Viva LFE. And we people, were so, people were so incredulous to the naysayers as well. There was this guy, he deleted yeah. his his name was Liam Blumeris, and he replied to every naysayer telling them how wrong they were. Champ, if you're watching, you know, oh, live up to your brag. Champ. I mean, that guy, oh. that guy can't afford internet connection right now because he put it all on <laughs> NFTs and crypto. Yeah. Um, look, uh, yeah, I just say, uh, yeah, that club has been cursed. John Saffron probably needs to go to uh, Perth and reverse the curse somehow. Probably he needs to buy the club off Tony Sage. That's probably the quickest way to reverse the curse. But hey, look, it's it's a massive shame. I do feel sorry for their fans. Sorry for taking the piss. But um, you know, again, it's just how do they how do they build momentum? You know, that club has probably struggled for attendances for years, even despite the fact that they have such a long history, uh, especially if you include the NSL. But they've always seemingly struggled. And so, you know, again, it just becomes hard on how do you build on the small following that you already had. Well, Peter Allen has come through in the comments. As a Glory fan, the signings have been really promising. The stadium situation is so deflating and the lack of rectangular facilities are a joke in Perth outside of the main HBF Park. And even HBF Park hasn't been that kind to Perth Glory. The rents there are, according to Tony Sage coming out and saying it every single season, are insane and really high and they get taken for a ride every year. But Tao, looking at the situation with Perth Glory, it's, it's, it's unfortunate for the club and the fans, but I mean, looking... It's yet another club in the A-League men heading into the 2022-23 season with 
shaky ownership situation, isn't it? We, you know, the the clubs are running the the leagues now, but who's running the clubs? Well, I mean, when you so frustrating this because we have been uh, believers in the fact that a stable fixture that does not move the floorboards under your feet is one of the key pillars to bringing the fans back. And that, and that's really why it hurts the fans of glory so much. Now, in terms of broadcast available venues, are Perth's crowds, this is not me being facetious, I'm asking this sincerely, are Perth's crowds so, too big that they can't use Dorian Gardens, which has a capacity of 4,000 and has been used for Australia Cup, FFA Cup ties, and has been used for W League games, and has even been used back when Fox were the broadcaster. One of the very first remote commentary games that was done was actually a Perth Glory versus Sydney FC W League game where the commentators were in Sydney and the cameras were in Perth and the venue was Dorian Gardens. Are we saying that they can't use Dorian Gardens because it's the start of the season? I mean, if they'd been using it by the end of last season, it would have been the perfect size, 4,000 capacity. Mm. It would have felt full. Is the crux of the issue that it's the start of the season when you're trying to build momentum? Or is it the principle that a venue like that, even though it has been passed as adequate for broadcast and has been used for Australia Cup ties, not just women's football, uh, is is inadequate for the A-League in, in some way or another? I feel as though ripping up the fixture and having to move things again disrupts other teams. And it would be nice to isolate this to a Perth only problem because if it creates a domino effect of other teams having to move their fixtures because they're doing swaps or, you know, is the simplest solution that Perth just plays away and we swap them out of home games. But then I feel as though that penalizes fans of other teams and undermines the objective of not having a moving feast of a fixture, which was one of the big selling points to get the league back on track this season anyway. Sorry to not answer your question about ownership, Joey, but I mean... It was a good point. It was a good point. Yeah, I, I, I had this point in the chamber and, and I don't have a good one on ownership to, to answer your question with. You, you see, Taylor, we have a private chat where if you'd put that you had that point in, I could have like teed you up for that. <laughs> nice and um, easy. But yeah, maybe uh, maybe I was distracted with other things like looking up when Dorian Gardens, uh, what, what its capacity was and when it was last used <laughs> in the W League. Well, uh, the reason I talk about ownership because it reminded like... Obviously, Tony Sage has been trying to sell the club for quite a while. Um, utility for the token and all of that being an embarrassing situation. But we recently saw Central Coast Mariners sold, which is great. I'm not going to get into the whole Brisbane Royal Bakery situation after you and Josh Parrish talked about it extensively um, last week, Nick Stoll. But obviously, fans in Brisbane aren't happy. You only need to go on social media to see that. Newcastle Jets have not had an owner for how long now? Two years, two and a half years. Yeah, but they scored seven goals in twenty-one minutes, so they're 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 on the rise. The Jets, but it, but it feels like it sort of like feels like it's you know, and this has gone on a real tangent now from Perth Glory, but sort of feels like Newcastle Jets like people have sort of forgotten that the Newcastle Jets are effectively run by a conglo- uh, conglomerate of other A League's clubs. I mean, people know, but what are you going to say? The box office jets as owned by a conglomerate of other clubs. That's quite the acronym that we'd have to uh, come up with. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, ownership, as we talked about last week, is a massive issue at all these clubs uh, that you mentioned. And I really, you know, I kind of said it for a while, but I really hope Sage finds a buyer that is somewhat 
competent. Uh, you know, th- that's that's kind of the bar that I'm hoping for at this stage is somewhat competent uh, because that club could be much bigger and is being held by back by. Uh, I think a lot of the decisions that Tony Sage has made. Uh, now, this kind of seems like it's a bit out of his control. I think the Dorian Gardens uh, idea fits. You know, if it's such an issue, to me, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's better you play a few games at home in a smaller stadium and you fill out that stadium and it's a great atmosphere and maybe it's sold out and you can be like Perth Glorious sold out three weeks in a row or whatever. Uh, then you play your first seven games away or whatever the kind of ideas are being talked about. So, yeah, I, I like the Dorian Gardens idea. For first seven games away, again, th- those are going to fall into the category of, oh, is Adelaide home this week? I didn't realize. You know, mm, when, when, when the yeah. fixture came out, this was an away game. And yeah. I feel that's what I want to avoid. I want to avoid having that as another reason to explain away bad crowds, again, especially early in the season. That's why it's such a killer. Yeah. Yeah, well... Not an ideal situation facing now, Perth Glory, because we'll break down teams' squads that they've assembled closer to the season. But there, there is reason to believe that Perth Glory won't finish last again, looking at that roster at the least. And when you're coming off a last place season, that is a reason for hope. So it's unfortunate um, that this situation has occurred. But I believe... Well, we are dropping panellists like flies. Nick Stoll, you need to depart. Thanks and success to each and every one of you uh, that watches the show, that listens to the show. Uh, thanks and success to anyone who watched on Facebook. I believe we've been on ESPN Australia's Facebook page uh, for the first time, so that's cool. That's why I wore something uh, American. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, no, okay. Uh, thanks and success, uh, yes, to everyone in Australian football, and I hope everyone has a great week. And tune in next week where we will be talking what Australia Cup. I mean, I feel like I'm signing off from the show. There's still more of the show to come. I'm just leaving. We haven't um, even hit the NPL yet, Nick. Stop. The, the right. good stuff. Hopefully, I can uh, get home and <laughs> listen to the rest of it. Uh, thanks and success. I'll talk to you next week. Just once you figure out how to log off. I don't want to end the broadcast. I'm removing... There we go. I almost removed you from there, Think Taya. So now now that we have gotten rid of those horrible New South Welshmen, um, we can move on to the next topic on the agenda. It was announced uh, on Wear It Purple Day um, earlier in the week on Friday evening that the Pride Cup will be returning um, to uh, the A-League... Well, the A-Leagues... Next season, it will be a doubleheader in February. Melbourne Victory hosting Adelaide United. Uh, the men's game kicking off first at 3 p.m., followed by uh, the women's game kicking off at 6 p.m. Um, get a bit more into the, you know, why this is a good thing in a second, but did want to address one thing that I'd seen floating around a little bit, um, talking about how Victory were only doing this because of the Josh Cavallo incident last year that he posted about on Instagram and the club was sanctioned for some um, abuse that he suffered from the stands at an Amy Park game. Not the case. Um, The Pride Cup CEO confirmed at this event on Friday um, that Victory have been engaged with Pride Cup about doing something like this for pretty much two years now. Um, so this isn't something, um, that victory have just done. John Didalitza spoke quite passionately 
um, at this event about why this was important and why this was needed. Kayla Morrison um, spoke about uh, the importance of this event, spoke about how it was important for um, Melbourne victory, wanting to basically for LGBTQIA plus people, basically, if you can't be with your family, victory wants to be your family. Um, and I think that's the important thing um, surrounding these sorts of things. I've, I've spoken at length about this in previous episodes about the work that needs to be done in this space, why it's so important. I'm not going to speak for, you know, out and proud members of the LGBTQIA plus community about why this is important. Um, but I'll just say that you know, from an ally perspective, I think these things are very much needed. I mean, the cliche is that the negative response that Melbourne Victory received on this, on their social media channels, is why these games are still needed. But no, I'll I think they are. This is, this is the one place I disagree with you. The club is not entirely the club as in staff, players, you know, administrators. The fans are the club. If the mm-hmm. fans cannot conduct themselves in a way that is supportive of this initiative, the organisers should take it off them. And some people might see that as a victory. Victory, the administration, victory, the staff, victory, the board might say, well, no, we're not going to be bullied into not being a part of this. But I think they have to do an assessment at some point of what is generating more hate, what is bringing people out of the woodwork to spew bile who otherwise would keep their hostility and bigotry to themselves. And at some point they have to decide, well, Melbourne Victory, if your fans conduct themselves online the way they did in response to this announcement when the game itself comes around, we're going to take it off you. And there would then... Well, that that is the big uh, question. Then uh, then I think there would be be flow-on effects that would, I think, significantly affect Victory from, you know, a corporate responsibility point of view if it was taken off them because of the conduct of their fans. But ultimately, the fans... I think, are the club more so than whoever happens to be a member of staff or a player at the club at the time. Well, one of the things that Victory will be doing as part of this is, well, the A-Leagues as a whole, it was piloted during the last finals campaign. They have been working with various venues surrounding training and education on this front. It was, I think it's, I'm not sure if it was pointed out at the event or previously, but it was pointed out about how, these days, racial abuse and all of that would be called out um, and be would be, you know, immediately condemned, you know, coming out from crowds and especially on the pitch. But it sort of feels like homophobic and trans abuse is still exist in that grey area. So that's an area of education and training that uh, is going to be conducted with stadium staff and security to try to stamp this sort of stuff out. Victory's engagement with this, um, it extends just beyond the day itself and Rainbow Gear. Um, some of Victory's backroom staff um, have and administrative staff have already been involved in training with the Pride Cup, and that will be extending to the entire um, squad um, coaching staff and backroom staff. They will be undergoing training and lessons in not just you know, understanding why, understanding things, but why their involvement is important. So I applaud Victory for giving it a go. 
like you say, Teo, if we get to the day itself and it descends into hatred, that is something that we will, um, well, it will be a terrible scene. Well, not terrible scene. I, I, just, a- I just don't want, I don't want either the administrators of Pride Cup or the administrators of either club or players at either club or staff at either club to dread this day because of what it might create. The idea is well, to... Yeah, they, they do it, have agents. They do have agency. I, I know. I have no doubt they would be walking into this white with eyes wide open. No, no, so, I agree. But again, you know, I, I do, I do wonder if um, the bad actors in this situation know what it might take to uh, to be able to to make this more harmful than actually the net positive, all of which you have outlined there. Which is interesting is do we allow these events to be hijacked like that? If, you know, I imagine... The, the, the fan base is the size it is and is it has the range of opinions it does because it is the biggest club in the league. And none of our so, clubs have been... No, no clubs have been started, you know, this isn't like Europe where, say, in Italy, you have Livorno, the ultra left-wing club, and Lazio, the ultra right-wing club. Every club in the A-League is a broad church, which is going to attract um, every different type of opinion, many of which, you know, I'm sure people running this initiative will find repugnant. Why do you think it works for Adelaide then? Uh, I Maybe it's just a different fan culture within the club. Maybe it's because it's a one-team town. Maybe it's because their fan base isn't as big as Victories. I don't know. But Adelaide, think- Adelaide get a lot of credit here. Yeah. Mm. Do you think heading into this, we've seen Victory supporter groups, for fuck's sake, an influential fan podcast? And Victory, certainly, they're certainly a decent, well, I guess you'd call them liberal in the actual sense of the word, not Australian sense of the word. There is a decent liberal contingent of Victory fans. Do you think heading into this event, um, the self-policing might increase and Victory fans could respond to this and... I, I can't answer that. Snap I, that out. I, I haven't been in the terrace for too long. I, I don't actually know what the culture of the terrace is like. Well, I guess it is going to have to be something to um, move forward. But as an overarching thing, I think I do have to applaud Victory for actually committing to this, not just you know responding to the Cavallo incident last year and, all right, we'll whack some rainbows on our jerseys to cover our corporate ass. From everything that I can tell, it's a genuine effort on the club's part to engage and be better and educate themselves and figure out how they can lead and help educate others on this space, how to be active allies um, in this space. And I do know that Melbourne Victory spoke with OSM before this announcement um, obviously, it's a broad church, as you said, Tao, but Victory has already gotten out. Like, they didn't spring this on OSM, probably because they knew the potential reaction. So I think they're being proactive. Obviously, it's going to have to be something that you watch um, moving forward. But the concept of a Pride Cup, the pro- the concept of doing everything that we can to make football a more inclusive space for everybody, I think, always has to be a good thing and it's just a matter of execution. Okay. And with that, we can move on um, to the next topic, which 
Well, Teo, we you weren't on the show for this, so we're going to come. I'll come back to you on it now. You cover um, the New South Wales NPL quite a bit. Um, what did you make of Sydney United's game today? I, I didn't watch it. I've only seen oh. the goal. I was I was out at different NPL games, mate. I'm happy to talk yeah. about yesterday's grand final, but as far as uh, Australia <laughs> Cup is concerned, I've literally only seen the goal. And I've seen the blow up uh, with the discussion about the foul throw and the handball. But there was a lot of time left in the game after that one goal for Peninsula mm-hmm. to get back in it. And uh, I've seen, actually, I, have, I lie, I've seen one of the great Nizic saves as well, uh, mm-hmm. which was getting praise from Clint Bolton for how good it was. Well, maybe you can answer this question then that I had, Taylor. Do you think, given Sydney United's position in the league, obviously they won on the Waratah Cup run, but... Do you think they've focused more on the cup as the season has progressed? I think they were focusing on the Waratah Cup, and that was the game they lost. They lost that final. Um, they, they Look, they finished the NPL season in really good form because their team had something to play for. They were mathematically uh, out of the picture with a few weeks to go, but then they still turned around and effectively ended Sydney FC Youth's season by beating them. And they had a strong end to the home and away because there was a piece of silverware on the line, the Waratah Cup. It's amazing to think now they are two wins away from another piece of silver where they're one win away now from being in another cup final. But it's kind of almost rough justice for them if they finish this season empty-handed because of the way they've stuck to their task. And and the biggest reason to stick to their task um, and give them credit for it is there was no relegation from the top division of NPL New South Wales this season. Four teams are getting promoted up out of the second tier. No one went down. The league is expanding from 12 to 16. And it would have been pretty easy for them to save their money or throw in the towel or think about planning for 2023. And instead, the Waratah Cup, I think far more than the Australia Cup, is what kept them going. And unfortunately for them, Northwest Sydney Spirit, who ironically lost to Peninsula Power in the round of 32, was the team that beat them in the final. And so looking ahead to Wednesday night, um, the Australia Cup, there is one other member federation side in action. You and I were both watching on as the Oakley Cannons were forced to go to a penalty shootout against Heidelberg United in the NPL Victoria Elimination Final. Um, They were in sputtering form towards the end of the NPL Victoria season, the Oakley Cannons. They'll have gone 120 minutes against Heidelberg the preceding Friday. They'll have a NPL Victoria semi-final against Port Melbourne, on Saturday or on Sunday, I think it is, or Saturday, um, one of those two days. Port Melbourne, who, by the way, are quite possibly the fittest side in NPL men's Victoria. Do you give Oakley any chance against Sydney FC? Absolutely, because even though we've been hearing how banged up and injured they are and how they're running out of soldiers and they're playing strikers at left back and they're uh, bringing Nick Nyajoran in to play in Australia Cup ties despite not having clocked 90 total minutes for the season, they keep winning. And it's because Chris Taylor is a master coach with plenty of answers. Look, Port, Port Melbourne um, probably are favourites to win the whole NPL. Adam Piddick, great reputation, forged in the Australia Cup somewhat before he was headhunted to come to Melbourne with uh, football as his primary means of, of uh, moving, effectively almost a full-time coach in an NPL environment. Um, and then he brought half of NPL Queensland with him. Yes, as is tradition in Victoria, let's not forget. But um, look, it's. I think that, uh, yes, the cup tie against Sydney FC might be a bridge too far, but Sydney FC, curiously, 
left a few of the age-eligible players out of their under-20s grand final against Mount Druid Town yesterday, a game which they won 3-1 after going behind. But, you know, Jaden Kucharski, who could have played in the game, didn't. Maybe that suggests to me that if, if Sydney can get a sniff of a wounded animal uh, midweek, they, they might let some of the kids fly rather than, again, play their full-strength team. But I think Oakley are tough customers and they're always organised. And Chris Taylor, uh, I think, has the best reputation, I, I would say, in Australia of any Australian-based coach that's never actually got an A-League job. I don't think I'd be mistaken in, in saying that necessarily. Uh, senior coach, that is, assistants that may get promoted into an A-League role in the future, notwithstanding. Well, that's a perfect segue. You mentioned it there briefly. National Premier League's chat. Teo, you were at um, Paramount Stadium um, yesterday for the grand finals of the New South Wales NPL, the last ever uh, New South Wales NPL grand finals, because they are doing away with the finals next season with the expansion of the competition. Um, we'll get to the main event, Manly versus Blacktown. Blacktown getting the win. Are they deserved champions? Yeah, they are based on how the grand final panned out. I mean, for anyone that didn't follow the league race, there were three teams separated by one point, and they were Sydney Olympic, who won the title on goal difference, Manly United, who were actually level on goals scored in stoppage time, going for the goal that would have given them the title only to concede, and then... Uh, end up losing the title on goal difference rather than goals scored as a result. And then Blacktown, who went into the final day in the lead, only to lose to Sydney Olympic and finish third. However, the final series was pretty wild. It had We had uh, stoppage time equalizers. We had stoppage time winners in extra time. We had, I think, three penalty shootouts on the road to, uh, to the grand final. And this final uh, was, was far more conventional in that it was 2-0, uh, a goal in each half, uh, Blacktown City scoring on the break to make it 2-0 late, and then Manly, you know, weren't able to produce another miracle. Travis Major, who Central Coast and A-League fans will remember, um, he's now playing overseas, but is kind of back in Australia for a, a little stint in between, uh, I believe, his his next gig overseas, wherever that may be. He, he was uh, the Robbie Slater medalist as player of the match. And look, I, I think Blacktown were, were very smart. They pulled a surprise with a, a player at right back, uh, Lachlan Campbell, who scored the opening goal, uh, that was a, a bit unexpected, and he was able to ghost forward and score the opener. And Manly, to their credit, were able to produce some decent chances. It certainly wasn't relentless pressure, but during the first 15 minutes of the second half where they were firmly on top, they had a disallowed goal for a handball. The shot through traffic caught an arm, and uh, Hassan Jomar, who's a young referee on the rise, had only just been added to the A-League fourth officials panel this week. I think it's only a matter of time until we see him as an A-League central referee. He had had a really good season to justify getting the grand final. And also Emma Kotzbeck, who is a, a regular assistant referee at A-League women's level, but who knows, might might even uh, break into A-League men's uh, if her decision-making continues the way it was. They put their heads together. They saw the handball. We had the benefits for replays in the commentary booth. We saw it was a handball. But yeah, that was that was a great chance for Manly and, and ultimately... You know, they they did produce a couple of miracles to get to the grand final. Uh, stoppage time winner to beat uh, Blacktown the first time. Uh, stoppage time equaliser and then penalty shootout win to beat Sydney Olympic. And they couldn't extend their luck. And Blacktown City, you know, we've seen them win uh, against A-League teams in the Australia Cup. We've, we've seen them go on plenty of good cup runs nationally. They're deserving champions and, and their former A-League players like Mario Chabau and Mitch Malia, who came off the bench. You know, they're still pushing. They're still playing 
as hard as they can. There's there's no thoughts of A-League careers over. I'm going to take easy money in the NPL. These guys are serious players and they're a seriously good team. And looking across, we're also coming down to the business end of the NPL South Australia um, finals series. A couple of games in action yesterday. The semi-final um, leg two um, saw Adelaide City defeating Campbelltown City in that one to progress to the grand final. They will face the winner of uh, Campbelltown City against the Adelaide Comets. Comets, the Adelaide Comets progressing past the Metro Stars um, in a penalty shootout. So the uh, preliminary final is on the 2nd of September. The grand final is on the 9th. We know Adelaide City will be in that one. Teo, you called Adelaide City's game um, in the Australia Cup against Adelaide United. Were you impressed by what you saw? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the first 15, 20 minutes, them not scoring, uh, and they still took the game to penalties with two equalizers, but it would have been a totally different cup tie if they'd scored first because the way they attacked Adelaide United and took the game on, I think it was perhaps the best reflection on adjusting the calendar to have these NPL teams playing later rounds in season. And that's why we're getting more competitive round of 16 games, more competitive quarterfinals, uh, potentially a really competitive semifinal, because we're not doing this uh, in the depths of the NPL offseason where it's it's just a, a hassle to get guys to turn up to training and clubs have to find money that they otherwise wouldn't have budgeted for to keep paying players. I mean, th- this is such a victory for the Australia Cup and Adelaide City and the way they took that game on was the embodiment of it. And I don't know a great, I must admit my homework, I watched every goal Adelaide City had scored in their NPL in preparation for that game. Um, I didn't pay the closest attention to who they were scoring the goals against. So I will openly admit that I'm not an expert on Comets or Campbelltown, but uh, certainly Adelaide City, um, from what I've seen, are a very, very good uh, NPL team. Yeah. And now moving across to NPL Queensland, the big stories to come out of this one. Um, this weekend saw the round conclude. And well, the Logan Light- Lightning, um, they lost... Um, their game. So they were unable to overhaul. Um, they lost 4-1 to Brisbane City in the end. So they, in the end, they were unable to overhaul Moreton Bay and they were re- relegated. Um, one of the two teams relegated from NPL Queensland, but they didn't finish second bottom. In fact, they finished 10 points clear of the team that actually finished second bottom in that competition Brisbane Roar's youth, who are exempt from relegation in the NPL Queensland. Now, I think that might be changing. I It's unfortunate that Vince Regari has since left us because I think he tweeted something to the effect as though that is changing next season, their exemption from relegation. Obviously, we're not going to go into the details, lawyers, lawyers, whatnot, but there is obviously some disagreements between Football Queensland and Brisbane Roar, but it's not going to surprise anybody, Teo, that the national curriculum is against youth sides being guaranteed places in any sort of competition, but it's really not ideal, is it? Mm, I too am familiar with Australia's defamation laws. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can comment on uh, Brisbane Raw's Academy's uh, sacred place in the NPLs without getting... Yeah, I, I mean... I would have thought this. I would have thought, given the national premier leagues and things like the point system and the coaching accreditation requirements, wouldn't have allowed for this sort of variety state to state. 
I thought the point of the National Premier Leagues was that it was uniform in every state. So why is it that they've got an exemption, but it's not the case? Is it, uh, is it the case in Adelaide with Adelaide United? Is it the case in Perth with the glory? Uh, we know it's not the case in Victoria because Victory and City have both experienced relegations in that competition. And uh, Melbourne Victory fans would have seen that their academy team was unable to follow Western United and Melbourne City in winning promotion out of the third tier into the second tier today uh, with a loss to Kingston City. So uh, that's uh, that. I will again say that I actually don't know the circumstances of uh, which teams are protected and which are not when it comes to the academies. But I think the, the environment of Victoria has shown that um, in terms of forcing reform and, and forcing teams to invest and innovate and develop their academy science, uh, the threat of relegation um, is, is something that can drive you away from the bottom of the table. And in New South Wales, Sydney FC had a great season. They were top with three weeks to go and then fell in a heap, perhaps related to players having to go and train with the first team and take part in Australia Cup ties. Western Sydney Wanderers won promotion. Central Coast are playing in at the second tier grand final. So, you know, I, I think the, the pyramid and the trapdoor being open is is unashamedly a good thing in terms of driving performance of these A-League Academy teams. Well, you did mention it there, Toe, so we can talk about it. Down here in NPL Victoria, we have had finals football um, as well as promotion and relegation playoffs. The big story um, being that Western United, rather comfortably, in thumping fashion in the end, defeating the Goulburn Valley Suns to secure their place in NPL 2 for next season, the Suns down into NPL 3. But Melbourne Victory's youth um, facing off against Kingston City um, today, the situation being that rather than being automatically relegated from the NPL 2, the bottom two sides in NPL 2 faced off with the sides that finished third and fourth in the NPL 3 for the right to play in NPL 2 next season. Um, Kingston City... We first should say um, our best wishes to the Kingston player that suffered a... Mark Latsis. Mark Latsis, who suffered a horrific broken leg um, in that contest. Had, the play was paused for, I think, an hour um, until an ambulance could arrive and take him to hospital. So our thoughts are with him. But then Kingston City, using a one-man advantage, gained from the red card that was, gay, that was awarded... Um, after that incident, eking out a win. So Melbourne victory will remain an NPL three side heading into next season. And, and I think like you, Teo, I don't think this is a disaster for Australian youth development. We've seen Melbourne City and Western United both advance into the NPL two. One imagines that both of them would, well, at least the youth coaches in the, those clubs would be envisioning somehow getting up to the Victorian top flight next season. Very tough. Much, I, I'm actually, yeah. I'm actually thinking their priority should be safety, you know, avoiding relegation, and uh, you know, not compromising player development to avoid relegation. But it could well be a case that uh, at, at some point during the season they decide that playing certain players for the development is more important than avoiding relegation, if if that's what it comes to. Well, and I think that gets to one of the things I was going to say, Ty. We talk about how they might be, Western United, Melbourne City might be some of the favourites for a relegation, that which logically follows that 
they will be playing oppositions that are better than them or have more skilled players than them. The question then follows, why do they need to be in the NPL 1, getting the shit kicked out of them, guaranteed a place in the NPL 1, getting the shit kicked out of them every week when they'll be facing challenging opposition in NPL 2? Mm. Um, Look, I, I think the, where this will come to a head is when the National Second Division forms, the clubs <laughs> that leave Victoria to go to the National Second Division, will they want the same arrangement as Victory, City and Western where they get to leave an NPL team behind. And so it could be Avondale youth or Bentley Green's youth, and they would start in the top division and then be fighting for survival from minute one. I can tell you that as part of uh, interviews that I've been doing for a story that should be out this week in ESPN, hopefully, South Melbourne absolutely envision a youth side staying in the NPLs um, in the event that they are moved into a national Second division, South Melbourne prison. I, I don't think Kusis. politically, I don't think politically they'd be able to safeguard themselves from relegation out of the top flight. Nor should they ask yes. for it. So, yes. <laughs> I, I think th- there's your answer as to why the trapdoor should always be open um, from the top division for any A League academy team. Because mm. you know, in Brisbane, what if uh, Brisbane Strikers or Lions FC go to the national second division? Should the youth team that they leave behind therefore be safeguarded from relegation? Mm. Well, it was interesting speaking with... You don't have to answer that one. <laughs> it was interesting speaking with South, South Melbourne President Mikusis also saying that um, if the A-League youth sides were made a foundational part of the National Second Division, South would likely walk away um, from the concept. So that could be something that comes to a head um, in the future. But we'll get to it quickly because we've almost gone... Well, I've almost gone... Two and a half hours, Taylor, you join late, so you might have a bit more in the tank. But the finals of NPL Men's Victoria, we saw two games played. Green Gully getting a 2-0 win over the Bentley Greens um, in the big green. So we will see Green Gully playing South Melbourne um, next week in one of the semifinals. The other game, one of probably the best games in terms of storylines and drama, certainly, Tao to happen in NPL Men's Victoria in quite a while. Um, Oakley Cannons leading 2-1, heading into stoppage time of the regular 90. Heidelberg United score an equaliser. Heidelberg United leading 3-2, heading into the final moments of added time. Heidelberg United score a last gasp. Equaliser to send it to penalties before... Oakley eventually triumph in the shootout. But it was a fun game to follow along with, wasn't it, Taylor? Uh, it was. And I think if you want a team that knows how to win above all else, um, it's Heidelberg. And it was kind of like trying to finish off, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched this movie in the last 25 years, it was like trying to trying to knock off the, uh, the second edition of The Terminator at the end of Terminator 2. And Nick Feely, glory fan, will be with him. He was the shooter. And Oakley Cannons, I think uh, Brent Stern, uh, calling the action, uh, mentioned Oakley had a horrendous record in penalty shootouts. So the fact that they won uh, is all credit to the goalkeeper and their takers. And yeah, it sets up two very interesting semifinals. I mean, for context, the crowd at the New South Wales Grand Final at Combank Stadium was 3,500. Um, so Victoria's Grand Final, if South Melbourne make it, I think it's just about guaranteed to be pushing four to four and a half, maybe 5,000. But if we get uh, Green Gully versus Port Melbourne, um, 
you know, it neutrals will have to bolster the numbers, and it, you know, in terms of advertisements for the na- national second division, um, you know, nothing against those two clubs, but they might need to, you know, get the free version of Mailchimp and and send every every fan that's ever given them their email address a reminder that there's a grand final on, so that uh, we don't have a NPL Victoria grand final played in in front of a sub one thousand crowd. I'll also give it a quick shout out. Finals set for NPL Women's Victoria. First week, we'll see Caller United facing FV Emerging. Hey, hang uh, on. That, Victor- that means um, Mark Torcaso has to coach against his assistant, Helen Winterburn at Western United. Should be quite fun. The first time, for those unaware, FV Emerging is basically a rebadged version of Victoria's NTC program. The players in the women's top flight, first time they've ever qualified for finals. They almost certainly would have qualified last season had the season not been postponed for COVID. So um, good reward for Coach Helen Winterburn's side. Um, the other game, we'll see Heidelberg United facing off with FC Bullion Lions in a rematch from their game today that saw Heidelberg take out a 3-2 win. But I'm going to blast through Teo now. Somehow we've still got people commenting and watching along despite the fact that this stream has been going for two hours and 20 minutes. What did you want to say? One last thing. The two games I was at today were NPL New South Wales Women, where Sydney Uni has already won the championship. Top four race will go down to the final game of the season, uh, but um, highly likely that it's looking like Sydney United, MacArthur, I think mathematically in, and then one of Northern Tigers, Sydney Olympic, uh, or Apia Leichhardt will have to miss out. But uh, look, it is unashamedly a very entertaining competition, and if you miss the A-League women's and you don't want to have to wait until November, get out and watch the last round or the semifinals and the final over the next couple of weeks because the standard is is very, very close. Uh, with the exception of basically the star international imports, it is almost as good. Well, quickly before we leave, we can briefly take a look at overseas Aussies. Dayo, I am, as I said, running on fumes. I'm not going to highlight too many performances. Did any overseas Aussies stand out to you for the right or the wrong reasons as of late? Mate, if you're on fumes, I'm happy to to pass overseas Aussies in and go straight to the comments to say thanks and success. Well, I will just say, because um, he's my boy, unironically, he's my boy, so I'm going to give him a shout out. Harrison Delbridge started yet another game for Inchon in the K-League, um, a 2-0 win over FC Seoul in that local derby. They are now equal third on the K-League table, Tao. So, and... Harrison Delbridge is week in and week out starter for them. So I don't know. I mean, can do you think we no, can possibly... I do, I do. He is not making the World Cup team. Sorry. <laughs> Why not? I Because he's not, Joey. He hasn't it's... got a red card all season. He's only got, been booked once. So he's fixed that part of his game. Just stick to getting genre in. If we're going to go with your favourites, let's make absolutely certain that genre's in the 26 before we get uh, any ideas about Delboy also gate-crashing the party. Ah, oh, nah, Delboy for Socceroos, as it were. But that is all the stuff that we are going to get through. Lockie Flanagan um, has let us know that um, Cameron Devlin was great for Hearts against FC Zurich. Um, Lockie, I sent you the link to come on the show in the chat and you didn't use it. So I'm being very generous with reading your comments here. Um, Joseph has put the comment, Alawakuol in all caps, because it's very exciting. Alawakuol is on the bench for Stuttgart in their Bundesliga clash. And, so, and to think Nick Stoll didn't have anything for Stuttgart when we ran through the Australian connections uh, during the Champions League segment. Oh, there we go. Alawakuol 
getting the start for Stuttgart. Is that would that game have already started? Let me just check Google now. No, eleven thirty. So you know, we only need to kick on for another ninety-eight minutes, Joey, and we'll make it to kickoff. Well, that's a road trip um, to FC Cologne. Cologne, sorry. And uh, I had a the Rhein Energy Stadion. So potentially a big moment for Alawa Kual. Do you think Alawa Kual is a potential bolter for the World Cup squad, Tara? Only if he starts scoring tonight and continues scoring up until the deadline day for the squad. There we go. Um, well, with that bombshell, I think we can begin to wrap up the national curriculum for another week. Thank you ever so much to everybody that has tuned in on the stream, whether you are doing so on the National Curriculum's Twitter page that is at TNC Football on the ESPN um, on the ESPN YouTube page or for the first time on the ESPN Australia and New Zealand Facebook page. Big thanks to everybody that has tuned in for that one. And yes, Joseph has put the comment in that I do want to shout it out. The Afghan women's national team finished their season today, a 9-0 win. They have will finish second in the Women's State League for West competition. Um, so fantastic to see them getting wins. Um, sincerely, it sounds like a cheap plug, but also sincerely, if you haven't seen that video that um, ESPN Australia and New Zealand produced on them, I'd encourage you to go and watch that. Um really wanted to get the players front and center in that the players talking football front and center in that um it really was the probably the most rewarding thing i've ever done working on that story but for now um we can bid you adieu my name has been joey lynch i will say a big thank you to vince regari for jumping on nick stoll for jumping on nick the barno for jumping on for all of three minutes teo pelazzeri for jumping on to bring it home. Any final words? Thanks and success. Indeed. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Thanks and success. Hit the like and subscribe buttons as well and do all of that jazz. Get into the post show.